2: Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 7:01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Michelle Smallman.
1: Good morning, Randy Carriker.
3: I'm glad that you're happy. I uh, within <laughs> the last 10 minutes, I had a, a, there was a very good chance that Michelle was going to uh, spend this day in an unhappy, maybe even checked out mode, but uh, you're not because I did something that you're happy with.
1: So, Randy, yesterday during the show, you kind of mangled your headphones a little bit. I
3: dropped them. They're five below headphones. And I I don't buy $300 headphones. I buy five below headphones because that allows me to... I I go through maybe one pair every six months. I'm I'm never going to use a $300 headphones effectively. So... uh, (laughs) That's yeah. I dropped them and they broke, so I threw them away.
1: And by the way, as someone who spent the money on expensive headphones, they break just as frequently.
3: Yeah, they do. I mean, my
1: my headphones are falling apart all the time. So good play by you. But you said yesterday, I need to, you know, bring my Beats in today. I need to make sure that I have headphones because these are clearly not going to work for the day. And you go to get your headphones out of your bag and you realize that you don't have any. And sometimes we have errant headphones lying around the studio. So I figured you might want to use those. And you said, hey, I need to get into our office because I think I might have an extra pair of Rams headphones in there. <laughs> and I was like, what? You, A, you kept those. 2 You're going to wear them the entire show. Three, you expect me to look at you with a straight face while you're wearing Ram's <laughs> headphones for the next three hours. You would have been
3: distracted, I know.
1: Distracted um, and distraught. Not great.
3: <laughs> no doubt. So I went into the office and we ha- I have moved from the Fastlane office into our new character and Smallman office. And fortunately, I think for all involved, I couldn't find those headphones. So apparently in the move, I threw those away as well.
1: Which I'm proud of you for disposing of such garbage that clearly needs to be in a landfill somewhere. But I am kind of bummed because in my mind, I had this vision of us doing an office style video where you would rip the headphones off and slowly slam them on the ground and just fully destroy them with a baseball bat. That would have been good content, Randy.
3: It would have been great. Yeah, it's a shame. Maybe I'll find them. Maybe they'll pop up somewhere. I don't know.
1: Okay. One more question about this. Okay. What Rams gear and or um, memorabilia do you have left?
3: The only things I have left, and for I don't know if I still have it around. For some reason, there was a uh, charter PSL holders cap that was still around my house. I don't know why. And then the only other stuff I have is from The Greatest Show on Turf, an autographed football from Kurt Warner, an autographed helmet from Kurt, uh, Isaac going in to score the touchdown, a picture of Mike Jones making the tackle. It's great to show out on turf Super Bowl championship material.
1: Which you're allowed to keep forever. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, what about this Anita ruling? I was going through my closet at my parents' house, and it, you know, I just had stuff in there f- forever. Mm-hmm. And I found a Rams bag in there, and I was pulling out stuff, and there was a, a Rams mini helmet signed by our friend Chris Long. And I thought, well, I love Chris, but I hate the Rams. Also, this is kind of funny that I have a Rams mini helmet signed by Chris Long. Uh, So what's the ruling there? What do I do with this? I
3: believe that's acceptable.
1: But I'm never going to display it because it has the Rams logo on it. So what would I even do with it?
3: Well, maybe you could... Keep it in a place where nobody will ever see it. Now, as an <laughs> like aside. a dirty little
1: secret. <laughs>
3: yeah, right. An- another item that we had in the old office was a mini helmet signed by Johnny Hecker, Jake McQuaid, and Greg Zerline. And I did throw that away.
1: Oh, you just threw it away.
3: Yeah. So that's, that is in a landfill somewhere at this point.
1: I mean, if anybody wants that Chris Long mini helmet, hit us up Six five seven eight. Yeah,
3: that's our air comfort service text line. <laughs> uh, big announcement last night by Cardinal Manager Mike Schilt as we approach the regular season opener Friday night.
4: Ready to make a few announcements. You may or may not be interested in, but I'd be surprised if you weren't. Dakota's going to be our number three starter, and then filling out a rotation will be Miles and Carlos, and that puts KK in the at the end of the game in a high leverage situation to close. And we know we have other options for that to happen, based on situation, based on his availability. But that's the that's the route we're going. So you'll see the relievers oppose Dak pitching for the home team tomorrow, Dakota and you'll see KK on the back end of the bullpen for the home team tomorrow.
3: Yeah, so KK will be the closer to start the season. That was one of the possibilities that we had brought up. I was certainly an advocate of Carlos Martinez being the closer because he's the one that has done it at the major league level before. That being said, KK has been a closer in Korea. And, and we're going to talk about Carlos Moore coming up in our next segment, Michelle. But one thing we did talk a lot about is the fact that he earned it. And my belief and my thought process is is that Schultz and Martinez had a deal that if Martinez checked the boxes, that he would get what he wants to do and start, and he checked all those boxes.
1: I feel very conflicted about this for a lot of reasons. I'm excited to see Carlos as a starter. It's something that we've talked about for so long, and we've seen him in that role before, and we know that if right, he can be very successful as a starting pitcher. And I think if not now, when? We talked about that a lot heading into this season. If Carlos isn't going to ascend to that role, when is he going to get the job? And I know this is different circumstances, but still, I agree with the fact that, it's, it's time to see what he's got in that position. I also agree with the fact that he said, hey, I'm going to do all of these things and this is what I want as a result. But then the other side of me thinks, okay, but every other pitcher has been doing those things their entire career. So just because you've done it one offseason consistently, you should be rewarded for that, even if the best position for you might not be the role that you wanted. So I'm conflicted on it because I I see both sides of the coin. I truly do. And I know it's a difficult Mm -hmm. position for Mike Schilt to be in. And I know with Kim, even though he's traditionally been a starter and, and has had great stuff. People haven't in the league haven't seen his stuff, so he could be a a very effective closer. You could really make the argument for either option, for either pitcher to fill either role here.
3: And I'm always conflicted about the closer versus starter argument because. Uh, There is that fact uh, that in a normal 162-game season, you ask for a great pitcher with great stuff. Would you rather have him for 200 innings or for 65 innings? Well, you'd rather have him for 200. Mm -hmm. But you do have to get another argument for having him as a starter. You have to get to that closer. But I've talked to so many pitchers, and I, I love to have the discussion with them. But particularly closers. About or people who have been closers about the idea that getting the 27th out is different. And you've made great points about there being no fans in the stands Mm -hmm. this year. I think that'll be different. And one of the things that Mike Schild talked about was that KK just has what you're looking for in terms of being on the mound, in terms of his stuff to be a closer.
4: In KK's situation, you know, low walks, higher ground ball against, you know, both sides, got pitches for righties and lefties, ball moves experience, high leverage situation. So all those factors come into play that, you know, give us comfortable, be uncomfortable and give us a lot of confidence to put him in that role. And we want to go ahead and declare that. And we had a conversation with both of them the last couple of days and, and everybody's got their head around it and in a good spot. So
3: if you can get that, if you can get low walks, if you can get ground mm-hmm. balls as a closer, you prefer to have a strikeout guy, but if the guy has the ability and consistently gets the 27th out, then they're going to win. Because if he's in the game getting the 27th out, that means that they have the lead at the end.
1: Right, <laughs> which is always a positive. Um, but I'm interested to see how this is going to play out. And I and we've talked a lot about Mike Schilt as a manager of people. And I think this is where I defer to him, that he knows his guys. He knows them from a physical and mental standpoint better than we do. And even though we look at the situation and say... Kim's never never done this before. We know Carlos can get the job done. If he decides to make that decision, there must be a reason why. That he thought mm-hmm. Carlo, Carlos 100% was better suited as a starter. Whether it's from a physical standpoint or a mental standpoint.
3: One part of this that I find interesting is that the Cardinals, uh, it appears to me, are going with the guys that they... Are rewarding. Adam Wainwright is being rewarded for being terrific last year. Hudson had a great year. Michaelis not so much. Martinez hasn't started since July 30th of 2018 but in terms of the teams that the Cardinals are playing against I think I'd rather see Dakota Hudson against the Twins. I would rather see Michaelis against Pittsburgh pitching game three because every game is huge and then Hudson against a home run hitting team like the Twins in the fourth game of the season and then Carlos I think will be effective against Minnesota as well against Minnesota you don't want to hit many bats and that's Michaelis's game is that he he fills up the strike zone but man when the twins hit the ball it goes out of the ballpark
1: and you had mentioned this (laughs) last week even I think that that was something you were concerned about is Michaelis facing the twins so it lines up this way Randy
3: yeah and Michaelis, two years ago, it didn't matter who he was facing. He was fantastic. So uh, he's got the ability, like Hudson, to keep the ball on the ground. I'm just basing this on the last thing I've seen from both uh, in games that counted. And I, I really like Hudson's ability to keep the ball down and get people to pound the ball into the ground. But it is what it is. And the season starts Friday night against Pittsburgh. And the Cardinals will start Jack Flaherty. So it'll be Flaherty, Wainwright, Hudson, Michaelis, and Martinez. One other thing that Mike Schilt told us last night, and well, a lot of things, and we're going to talk about Carlos coming up, but the Cardinals are essentially going to go with 16 pitchers and 14 position players. He he made it pretty clear that that's the breakdown between pitchers and, and hitters. You good with that? Yeah, I think because of all the injuries with pitchers, I think that that's fine. And with the three batter minimum... It's going to be hard to use an 11-man bullpen and keep everybody sharp anyway. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot coming up about the Cardinals. And Mike she'll talked to the media for 25 minutes last night. So thir- during the course of the show, we'll have a lot of things that we'll be able to bring to you. But coming up next, Carlos is in the rotation for the first time in a couple of years.
2: Is he the fifth best starter, and why did he get that job? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: We want to hear from you with your Rhino Shield mic drops. What do you think of the Cardinals' decision to put Carlos Martinez in the rotation and make KK their closer? We want to hear from you. Use your voice with the Rhino Shield mic drop. Just download that free 101 ESPN app, and you can get in touch with with us there. You can always get in touch with us on the social media platforms that we have. Michelle is on the gram, (laughs) on the Insta, at... Uh, M. Smallman and Michelle's also on Twitter at M. Smallman. You don't use your Twitter as prolifically as uh, make, maybe Kanye West does. Right. But you do use it a lot.
1: I just, uh, no, I don't tweet out a lot of thoughts.
3: Like you don't uh, break up with people over Twitter like he kind of was breaking up with his wife last night?
1: I feel I feel very sad for him. Someone, someone needs to help him. Yeah, they do. You know, and I... I I don't know about the inner workings of their marriage, but reading that go down last night, I thought that would be a terrible spot for a wife to be in to be watching your husband say all of these things about you and your family very yeah. publicly. Kind and a you, meltdown. Yeah, and you not be able to reach them or get a hold of them and not know what he's going to tweet next. Not a great spot to be in. But no, you won't get that sort of content from me. <laughs> I'm not going to be revealing things about my relationships on social media.
3: And I <laughs> am uh, on Instagram as well. RJ Carricker and Randy Carricker on Twitter. All right, let's get to the decision to start Carlos Martinez as the Cardinals number 5 starter this year. Here is... Mike Schilt on his reasoning.
4: No, that's the reason now he earned it. You know, he's, he's communicated understandably having been a starter in the past and a highly effective starter in this league with multiple all-star appearances that he was one to to start and the conversation that's pretty well documented is, and he's done a good job being a good teammate to go into bullpen and do a nice job for us. But he's set up to start and he's, he was given clarity on what those expectations were and to your point, Benjamin, he, he really did a nice job of, of doing that in the first spring training. Tremendous focus regardless. He, he had almost as good as focus as anybody in camp, irrespective of whether you thought it was a, a drill that was a little more mundane. You know, PFP, bunting, of course, now that is kind of gone by the wayside. His sides had a focus to every pitch he threw. And then the results, you know, board a witness in spring training, his recovery of what he did – was really good. You know, he was able to recover. He's able to build up. He was um, very intentional about what his work looked like in the weight room, what it looked like in the training room to be able to recover better, to be able to take care of the, the load that we would expect a starter to have. There was continued conversation with him in the during the break between the two camps. Um, and then, like I said, he sent the videos. And, and um, I know he told you guys he worked up to seven seven innings of simulated game away from away from here and came in same focus, same attention to detail. So at that point, you know, the guy earned a spot and you appreciate the fact that he did it. And, you know, he earned the reward to get back in the rotation.
3: And so he is in the rotation and, this is not Miguel Sokolovic. This is a guy, like Mike said, has been in a couple of All-Star games. He has a tremendous amount of ability, and that's why they make that deal. If, if it's Miguel Sokolovic, you don't make that deal and say, okay, do everything we asked during uh, the off season and uh, spring training and summer camp 2020 brought to you by Camping World. Do all those things, and you'll be a starter. But because he has that elite talent, they felt like, okay, we'll give him this carrot. And we'll see what we can get out of him and see if we can get him to be great again. Because when you go to all-star games and when you turn in some of the years that he had for a three or four year period, he was a top 10 starter in the National League. And they wanted him to get back to that spot.
1: And you wanted to get back to that spot because he's publicly claimed that he wants it. And you know that if he really applies himself, he can get back to that level and be very effective to you. And even though I really wanted to see Carlos in this role, listening to Mike Chilt break it down and the first thing he says is he earned it. I'm thinking, what are we passing out stickers here? You know, if I'm (laughs) if I'm another starting pitcher and I think so, because I have taken this seriously my entire career or if I'm if I'm somebody who's going to the bullpen and I've wanted to be a starter so because I haven't disobeyed the team's orders and because I haven't taken it as seriously and because I haven't done the exact regiment that you've given me and you don't need to motivate me to work this certain way you're not going to give me the same reward if I do everything correctly I could see how that could be frustrating for other teammates however his value is best served as a starting pitcher. Not only because of what you're paying him, but because of what he can give you from an innings standpoint there. And if you're ever going to move him in any way, his value lies as a starting pitcher. That's
3: a great point that I hadn't thought of. But yeah, because the Cardinals do have guys, there's still runway in the careers of people like Gant and Ponce de Leon and Gomber and Zach Thompson and all those guys that didn't make the starting rotation and probably did do everything the Cardinals asked. And by the way, Henesis Cabrera is another guy that would like to be a starting at some point but one thing that this does I would hope is show these players that hey if I do what they ask and we make that deal and I have the ability that I'm going to be there at the end but you're right Mart- Mart- Martinez has not always done what they ask remember in 2019 one of the reasons that he never made a start is because he had the wrong workout program during the off season and he didn't strengthen his shoulder. And right. He showed up to camp with a weak shoulder and that has to frustrate the team. And that led to injuries. But I have to believe what they're thinking is, okay, I've had a guy that is, has elite skills. He's got, as uh, Liam Neeson would say, he's got a very specific set of <laughs> skills, right? And I, I, I want to make that investment work. And, hey, let's be real. At the end of the day, the Cardinals did spend $50 million on the guy, and they want to make the investment work. How can we make it work? Well, we can make a deal with him. And the deal is is that he gets to play and do what he wants if he
1: does what we want first, and we've talked at length about how Mike Schultz is great at managing people. and he understands that to extract that value from Carlos, he had to lay things out in a certain way. And to have Carlos respect him, respect the process, want it badly enough that even during a pandemic, he is going mm-hmm. to stick to the routine. He's going to uh, be an a plus student and and hopes in the end he's going to get the gold star. and now he's got it. and but with with that being said, You've wanted this, you've worked towards it, now it's your time to prove that you can do it.
3: And you better be mentally engaged. You
1: better Uh, be ready to go.
3: I always go back to, I think it was 2017, maybe 2016, I can (laughs) tell you momentarily, but Carlos went 15 and 14 and had three separate games where he made errors that directly led to a Cardinal loss, and... Let's see. It was oh, I'm sorry. Twelve and eleven in 2017, and he made errors that directly led to losses. And if he's just got his head in the game, he is a 15 and eight pitcher rather than a 12 and 11 pitcher. And that's that would have put the Cardinals in the playoffs. If he goes 15 and eight rather than 12 and 11, the Cardinals are in the playoffs in 2017. So he better be engaged too.
1: When we saw him speak at the winter warm up, something felt different about his demeanor, about his tone. He For a guy who's a flashy guy, he came in there with... A business-like attitude. Mm-hmm. He was responding to everything in a serious manner saying, hey, I understand the opportunity that lays before me. And this was pre-everything being shut down and disrupted. So the fact that he could maintain that throughout this tough time and come back and and say, hey, not only am I focused and mentally ready to go, I can give you seven, seven innings, and here's what I can do physically. So I'm excited to see him in this role because we've been talking about it for two years mm-hmm. now. Two years now we've been talking about will we see Carlos Martinez ever return to being the star pitcher, we believe he can be.
3: And we always think about Mike Schilt being the manager since the middle of 2018 and being the bench coach since the start of 2018. But Schilt and Martinez go back a long way. Mm-hmm. And I asked Schilt last night with that as a backdrop, how proud he is of Martinez.
4: I'm very proud. I'm going to answer your first question. I'm proud proud of all our guys, but I'm super, not I told Carlos this multiple times, really pleased that he's been able to take that next step, which is necessary as you get a little bit you know, more in your career and it's expected, especially well, it's expected everywhere, I'm sure, but we expect it here to take that next step and, and and to continue to, to learn how to be that professional on and off the field. And he's taken it very seriously and I'm super proud of him and he's earned this opportunity. I have seen him start. Um, he started for us in, in 2012, I was managing Springfield and he was a big instrumental part in us winning the Texas league championship at I think 19 years old. And he had like, a wake of one, nothing shutout through the seventh and, in Game 1 of the Texas League Championship Series through 7, and he went up winning, I think, 5 nothing.
3: So 2012, AA, those guys have been together. So Carlos clearly has trust in Schilt, and Schilt has had that trust rewarded.
1: And Mike Schilt just was illustrating the fact that Carlos was in that situation at 19 years old. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we admonish him for... Uh, his his mental approach to things. But we have to keep in mind that these are athletes and players that have been treated a certain way since they were very young. And that it's hard sometimes for them to assume responsibility or to approach things in a certain way. They don't have the same uh, things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. So I think it's hard for us to relate sometimes to somebody like Carlos Martinez, who's had all the skill and, and the ability in the world since he was very young and had people around him probably do a lot of things for him and when you're that good at something, you just assume it's always going to work out and hopefully he's learned that that's not the case that you have to apply yourself in a certain way and listen to those people who are smarter than you around you guiding you in that way. That your talent isn't always just going to win out.
3: Carlos is the number five starter. Weigh in with the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app and he'll start game five. Game one Friday night, Jack Flaherty and as the Cardinals kick off their 2020 season we'll be live all day from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. with the entire 101 ESPN lineup on site, broadcasting just steps away from Bush Stadium from atop the Budweiser Brewhouse rooftop deck in Ballpark Village. Opening day coverage on 101 ESPN all day Friday brought to you by Saliga Heating and Cooling and by Rawlings. You want me to bring donuts for breakfast? Duh. Okay, we're going to do that.
1: That sounds, that sounds great. Should I Take contribute too? Teens. Yes. Well, you're not a coffee person. What would you like? OJ? Yeah, we can. What's use- your what's your breakfast uh, beverage of choice?
3: I'm going to have to think about this. OJ and donuts are not a great mix. Totally, too acidic. Chocolate milk. Ch-
1: <laughs> chocolate milk. Yeah. Consider it done. Hello, and it. I'm going to get you some great chocolate milk. You know, chocolate milk is good when it comes in a glass bottle.
3: Oh yeah, big time.
1: I got you covered, Randy.
3: Next up, what are the hockey writers thinking by
2: keeping the Blues from winning awards? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: As we head into the NHL playoffs, your St. Louis Blues have uh, the best record in the Western Conference. They have the second best record in the league. Obviously, they are the defending Stanley Cup champions. Being the defendly, defending Stanley Cup champs has no bearing on winning awards for the 2019-2020 season. But you would hope that... Being able to repeat what they did in the second half of last year and in the playoffs last year, Michelle, would give the Blues a little bit more credibility in terms of the awards that are handed out by the league. And yes, Ryan O'Reilly has been nominated for the Selkie Award, given to the best defensive forward in the NHL. But you have your top three Norris finalists. Those are Washington's John Carlson, Tampa Bay's Victor Hedman, and Nashville's Roman Yossi. No Blues like Alex Petrangelo in that list, and second best record in the league, Craig Bruby not among the finalists for the Jack Adams Award. The three finalists are Boston's Bruce Cassidy, the Blue Jackets' John Tortorella, and the Flyers' Elaine Vigneault. No respect at all.
1: Randy, I don't know about you, but I am fed up with the disrespect I take, I can't that the take St. Louis Blues are enduring, not only this season, but last season as well. The Yes, the Blues at one point, were in, le- in dead last. But they had the not only the best story in hockey last year, I would argue it's the best story in sports last year. I would argue it's one of the great stories in sports in history. Ever. Ever. I, the amount of things that happened last season for this team to finally hoist the Stanley Cup championship, to hoist that Stanley Cup for the first time in franchise history, was remarkable. And... I I remember during the playoffs, Randy, it was never about the Blues, ever. It was always about the other team. When you look back the year prior, the Washington Capitals were the story. It was always about the Capitals. Are Mm -hmm. they going to finally win? Are they going to win? With the Blues, it was, they're going to play the Sharks. And I remember the national narrative was, San Jose needs to win one for Joe Thornton. I'm like, Joe Thornton? The story is not Joe Thornton. The story is St. Louis, this amazing fan base and this unbelievable organization that has waited 50-plus years to win this award. And look at the construction of the team. And while I certainly am angry that Petro is not in that conversation, and I think he should be, the fact that Craig Berube is not involved in the conversation for the Jack Adams Award is just criminal. It's actually crazy.
3: It's got to drive Berube crazy. No, I don't care. It doesn't, I don't, I don't think about that stuff. I really don't. Um, The guys that that are finalists for the award deserve it, in my opinion. They've all had tremendous years. I think Tortorella's done a tremendous job there in Columbus. uh, Losing, you know, Bob Roski, Panarin, losing players like that. Um, Very young team, a lot of injuries this year. He's done a great job. Uh, You know, Elaine Vigneault. Coming into Philly and get him back on the map. Um, He's done a tremendous job there. He's he's been a great coach for a long time. He's done a good job, and and Cassidy's done a good job every year in Boston, and well deserving of it. So, you know that's great for those guys. Um, There's you know it's just the way it is. I don't really worry about it. Um, So.
1: You had tough situations for all those coaches to deal with. Not dissimilar, Randy, to having an unbelievably short turnaround period to losing your one of your best players in Vladimir Tarasenko to having a guy like Sammy Blay miss some time. How about the fact that you, you have an all-star game in your hometown and there's some distractions there and your, your players who desperately need a rest aren't necessarily getting it, a lot of those guys who are still here in town. I would say that those are a lot of obstacles to overcome as well. Well,
3: and maybe having perhaps your best defensive defensemen literally have a heart attack on your bench.
1: One huge thing I forgot. <laughs> a huge thing and I you, forgot.
3: And you guided your team through that. So, yeah, Baruby deserves to be there. But like he said, he doesn't care. and And Petro doesn't either. You know why they don't? Because there's a trophy that they're more interested in.
1: And that is why we love those two guys and this team. Because individual awards and accolades aren't what they are seeking. They want to hoist that cup again like they did last year.
3: And it is notable, and I I will give the writers a break on this one, that the Blues do have the best record in the West. And I don't think that they do have a player that you could put in the conversation this year that deserves to be in the Hart Trophy conversation. So even though they don't have a player that would be the MVP of the league. They have the second best record in the West. That means they have a team, T-E-A-M, and there is no I in team.
1: Can confirm there is not. But there is an M-E, though, Randy. <laughs> yeah,
3: there there is. And the, the Blues p- don't have any of them either. They don't no, subscribe no to that. Guys. And uh, by the way, John Carlson, uh, we mentioned Petro's not a finalist. John Carlson deserves the award this year. It's become an award for the best offensive defenseman rather than the best all-around defenseman. But John Carlson played great, had 75 points, 10 more than the next defenseman who, is, who was Yossi, and then Victor Hedman. So your top three point-scoring defensemen are the guys who are regarded by the people that are voting on this as the best all-around defenseman, and I don't believe that's the case. As a matter of fact... For me, Petro and Hedman stand head and shoulders above everybody else in their game on both ends of the ice. And if you were going to pick the best all-around defenseman, Alex Petrangelo is among the top three in the league.
1: And don't you feel like the awards should represent that? That they should, should. they should shift what they're looking at?
3: Yeah, it, I, I t- can totally understand that. And you look at the three finalists for the Adams, they're all from the Eastern Conference. And you've worked in Bristol, so you understand the concept of East Coast bias. And I don't think there's any doubt that there is an East Coast bias to this voting. Uh, You look at the guys, I'll do credit to... Tortorella, who had a really good year, and Vino. But Tampa Bay, John Cooper has the third best record in the league, and he lost Damkos for a long time. Colorado lost McKinnon for a long time, and uh, their coach isn't among the finalists. Uh, Todd Reardon he has the fifth best record in the league, and then you get to Philadelphia and, and Pittsburgh. Man, wh- what about the job that uh, Sullivan did there with losing both Crosby for a time, and uh, Malkin for a really long time. So there's a lot of deserving people for the Adams Award, but it's not really legit this year if Baruby isn't in the conversation.
1: Now that we're talking about this further, Randy, I'm getting more incensed. Craig Baruby, this is his first full season Mm -hmm. as the Blues head coach. When he went on the cover, he was the interim coach. He was the interim coach. And let me ask you a serious question. Do you think he could have done any better of a job this year?
3: No. I I would say that beyond just losing Tarasenko, but having all the other issues that you laid out, I can't imagine that there's a coach that did a better job than Craig Berube did.
1: Because not only did he overcome everything that we just talked about and have the team be in the position to be the best in the West and defend their Stanley Cup championship, but the expectations coming into this season were unrealistically high for him. And Mm -hmm. he exceeded every expectation that was set before him. That needs to count for something.
3: He's our coach of the year, though.
1: Number one in our hearts, Randy.
3: Absolutely. And really, he's, he's number one. The other people in hockey just don't know it.
1: Sure, but we would like for him to get those things as national recognition. He deserves it.
3: Yeah, and it is pretty remarkable that he was a finalist last year and is not a finalist this year. And this year's team was actually better. Last year's team finished third in the division.
1: Imagine some really, really smart hockey people got in a room, and they were talking about best coaching jobs this year, and nobody was like, "Mm, Craig Berube? Maybe we should throw him in there?
3: Yeah, I think it's (laughs) a... It said, well, let's just look at the Eastern Conference standings. <laughs> Must have been what they did. Jeez. So, Barubi uh, and the Blues on their way to Edmonton later in the week and then they'll go on and uh, win the Stanley Cup again. Coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We have today's edition of Tioli. Scotty is with us and he'll have your take it or leave it questions for Michelle and I on 101
2: ESPN. We are right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: It is time for Teoli. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780.
5: And Scott Manziara is in with your questions for us. Scotty, what do you got? All right, guys, from the 618, take it or leave it. Mizzou plays 10 games this year.
3: I'm going to leave that, even if they're all conference games. I, I, it was a 12 game schedule before. I don't see them getting 10 in, and it's interesting because I, maybe nine, but I don't see 10.
1: I'm going to leave it because I'm concerned about them playing a game.
3: I am too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't imagine that they would get to double digits. Yeah,
1: me either. Which is unfortunate.
5: Yeah. All right, from the six six zero, take it or leave it. Colton Pareco will be the next captain of the St. Louis Blues, and Alex Petrangelo doesn't return.
1: I'm going to leave it because I think number 90 will get that C. Even though Pareco is ascending as a leader and means a lot to this team, I think Ryan O'Reilly is, is a captain without a letter on his sweater currently.
3: Michelle, I would love to do hot take radio and disagree with you <laughs> and say Pareco is because I think Pareco is a great leader, and I think he'll be an A. But how could you choose anybody but Ryan O'Reilly if Petro leaves? How how could you choose anybody but Ryan O'Reilly?
1: He doesn't need the sea on a sweater right now to no. be a de facto captain. Right. He he leads in a lot of ways, and this is taking nothing away from Petro, by the way. But when you have a guy that leads by example all the time but you know what we've had this conversation off air so let's bring it on air I wonder what that would be like for Ryan O'Reilly to actually have the C on his sweater because now he doesn't have any pressure or expectation to say the right thing he can be the guy that goes out there after a scrimmage and throw some pucks on the ice and works on his stick handling and his shooting and have other people look at him and lead them in his own way but to actually have that C there it's a lot more is required of you than you may necessarily be doing prior. Right now, it's just very organic for him.
3: It is. And young players on the team look up to him. The one thing about Petrangelo, the the thing that he... There's a lot of things that Petro does really well. But he's a fantastic liaison between the coach and the players. He's got a great pulse of that room. And I'm sure Ryan O'Reilly does too. But I think that's an underestimated aspect to what Petro does in terms of the coach listening to him. He's, if he, if Petrangelo goes to Ruby and says, hey, the boys need a day off, Ruby will give him a day off. It's it's that simple. And I'm sure he has that sort of trust in O'Reilly, too. I, I just don't see a flaw in Ryan O'Reilly's leadership.
1: I don't either.
5: Text the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It. From the 636, Take It or Leave It, Carlos finishes the season with an ERA of less than 3.5. Take it.
1: Take it.
3: Yeah, he's a... Uh, He's a 2.73 ERA guy this year. He's going to be great. Okay, you're writing it down, huh? I'm
1: writing this down.
3: 2.73 for Carlos. 12 starts. 12 starts. 7 wins.
1: Oh, Randy, all right. Okay. And you're I'm writing this in pen. I like that. You're okay with that? I
3: just yeah, it's totally uh, I'm okay with it.
1: <laughs> okay, get it. All right, a
5: non-sports one here from the 309. Take it or leave it. Chocolate chip pancakes are better than regular pancakes. Oh, 100% take that.
3: Can you imagine going into a place that has pancakes and not ordering chocolate chip pancakes? I make chocolate chip pancakes at home with the mini semi-sweet chocolate chips, and they're delicious. I, I can't imagine just choosing buttermilk over chocolate chip. No chance.
1: See, I'm going to leave it. I'm going classic buttermilk over chocolate chip all day, Randy. All day. You
3: can't do this to me.
1: Here's the thing, Randy, about a chocolate chip pancake the chocolate chips get really melty on the inside and then when you're when you're divvying it up it gets all over the place and it tends to overwhelm the fluffiness and the butteriness of of the pancake and then it gets mixed i want to savor the syrup this,
3: this is a hot take because what you're telling me is that you don't like a warm chewy chocolate chip cookie
1: uh, no. Oh, my love, God. Love a warm, chewy chocolate chip okay. cookie. But the consensus, the density of a chocolate chip cookie is such that I can enjoy all the flavor profiles of a chocolate chip cookie if I'm enjoying it. Uh, we know that fluffy buttermilk pancakes, right, is a delicate, delicate breakfast item. You need to make sure well, that I you're... Come on, it weighs a pound. <laughs> sure, but <laughs> when you're slicing into it, you want to get that good bite. You don't want chocolate melting all over, errantly, totally all over. I want to scrape it (laughs)
5: off my plate. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Thank you, Scotty. You got it. From the 618, take it or leave it. Fowler gets off to the hottest start for the Cardinals outfield.
1: (laughs) I'm going to leave it. I'll go ahead and jump in, Randy. I think Tyler O'Neill is going to get off to the hottest start.
3: I'm going to go sunshine lollipops here. I'm going to say I'm going to take it. I'm going to say that uh, in the first week of the season, the Dexter Fowler will have the best numbers of any Cardinal outfielder. In the first week of the eight-week season, Dexter Fowler will have the best numbers of any Cardinal outfielder. Okay. I'm not saying after two weeks or three, but I'm going to say that he gets off to the hottest start.
1: All right. I'm writing that down in pen, Okay, good.
3: I like that.
5: <laughs> All right. From the three and four, take it or leave it. Mike Matheny will be more successful with the Royals than he was with the Cardinals. 100% take. And there's two
3: reasons. Number one, pretty much every manager is better the second time around. You look at World Series champion managers, it's almost unbelievable. Until uh, the last couple of years, how successful managers have been in their second stints. But the other thing is that Mike has the DH now, and he's not going to have to double switch out his uh, third, fourth, and fifth hitters in a game, which has been done. So... His handling of the bullpen, and I think he trusts Cal Eldred probably more than anybody else. And Eldred's pretty good at bullpen management. I, I do believe that he'll be more successful. And I hope, and Mike has been much better with the Kansas City media than he was with us towards the end, us being the entire St. Louis media. I think that's a big part of it. And I think his acceptance of analytics has also benefited him.
1: I'm going to leave it. And I think think it's because the Cardinals organization, top to bottom, was in such a place that Matheny succeeded in spite of himself a lot of times. The talent that he was given, uh, the, the people that were around him, he succeeded despite... Uh, maybe not having the best relationships with his players, or maybe making some poor tactical decisions. The team was still good enough that he would win. I don't know if I trust the Royals organization as a whole if he does fall back into some of his patterns to be put in a position to be good enough to supersede those decisions.
5: And his players aren't going to be as good. You're
3: right about that. There's no doubt.
5: All right, last one from the six six zero. Take it or leave it. There will be at least one 10-game winner for the Cardinals in this pitching staff.
3: Leave yeah. it. 12 starts max, nobody's going to win 10.
1: Yeah, you said Carlos would get, what, 7? Yeah. No Jeff Flaherty?
3: Flaherty might get 7, too. But not. nobody's getting 10.
1: Yeah, I'm going to leave it because I'm concerned about the run support, too.
3: Yeah, that's a good <laughs> thing to be concerned about. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. Coming up, the MLS for the Lou has a great opportunity for you, and they're going to, going to announce their name and colors and everything coming up. Pretty soon, Carolyn kindle Betts from MLS for the Lou is next
2: on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. And even though we're in the midst of a pandemic, they've been busy at MLS for the Lou. And Carolyn kindle Betts from MLS for the Lou joins us now on 101 ESPN. Carolyn, it is always good to have you with us. How are you doing this morning?
6: I'm great. Thanks for having me. Happy Tuesday.
3: Same to you. And we're excited, A, about Michelle's birthday, which is (laughs) August 13th. But B, and this is kind of tied for first, Carolyn, because on August 13th, MLS for the Lou is going to unveil the name and colors and crest of the team. And even though people can't be there, they can be there, right?
6: Correct. Yeah, so I think we're going to use um, cardboard fans. Um, So we're excited to do something different. Um, You know, certainly pre-COVID, we were planning a a big party with attendance of 2,000 plus at an iconic St. Louis venue, but uh, we've had to make some changes. But we're really excited. Um, Actually, we're excited about a lot of things, but certainly to be able to finally announce um, the team name and the crest and the colors.
3: And how can people get their picture in the building that day?
6: So we're asking you to upload a photo at the MLS for the Lou website and then what we'll have to do is just randomly pick 700 pictures and have the cardboard cutouts and then put them around um, the auditorium at Harris Stowe State University.
1: That's going to be great, Carolyn. And since we even got an inkling that MLS would be coming to St. Louis, you know that the conversation amongst fans has been, "What is the team name going to be? What are the colors going to be? What is the crest going to look like?" And so to finally have that, have a date, be ready to announce is is really exciting. But without revealing too much, without letting the cat out of the bag, can you tell us some of the conversations that surrounded what the team name would be, or maybe some of the some of the people that were involved in that decision?
6: Absolutely. I mean, when we asked people to submit names um, to the website, I mean, we had over 6,000 suggestions, and so it was, it was exciting to go through them, but basically we took what were the top keywords, so maybe not necessarily the name, but gateway, for instance, and, and things that you would expect. Um, after that, we worked with our great local agencies here in St. Louis, Weber, Shanwick, Cannonball, and, of course, MLS for the Lou headquarters and came down to about, uh, you know, two names. The family and the ownership group um, did a vote. It was unanimous. And here we are. And everybody will get to find out on August 13th what we came up with.
3: Carolyn kendall CEO of MLS for the Lou, with us on 101 ESPN. So what are your two favorite
4: colors?
6: <laughs> so my two favorite colors? Well, pink, obviously.
1: <laughs> um, and then I would probably have
6: to go with, I'm going to say blue.
1: And Carolyn, what's your favorite part about St. Louis history? (laughs) I'm kidding. My favorite part of St. Louis history? Oh,
6: well, it's got to be the... uh... All of the soccer players coming out of the hill for the World Cup championship, of course. There you go.
1: Okay, we tried. We tried, Randy. Uh,
6: Michelle, tell us about the
3: delay. Or Michelle. (laughs) Carolyn, you can tell us because you know more. Uh, Tell us about the delay from 2022 to 2023. What went into uh, the league and MLS for the Lou agreeing to this delay? And what's really going to take place during the delay between 2022 and the new opening date of 2023?
6: Well, you know, we'll to answer the second question first, we, we are hoping to have the stadium complete by mid-2022 and be able to do a lot of programming um, in the stadium. You know, they've pushed World Cup 2022 back uh, to November, December, so maybe watch parties. But the stadium is still um, on schedule to be completed, and so we're actually kind of excited because you can look at it from, we sort of get to break in the stadium, I like to say, um, get the kinks worked out, so when we do have that first match, you know, hopefully things go smoothly. But how we ended up here, you know, obviously, you know, (laughs) nobody knew March 1st what was going to happen, and so just in discussions, and very open and honest discussions with MLS, it just started to become clear that we needed a little bit more time. And so obviously, we respect their opinion. Um, we understand it, certainly last August, not what you wanted to hear, but really thinking about it, and given how, many, how much things have changed, it's really gonna be a good thing because we have, an, we have more time to really make sure that we do things correctly. We don't you know, we're not rushed anymore. And it's gonna allow us to make sure that that first match, that inaugural season, will be epic. And so we are really excited about that extra time.
1: And Carolyn, I know that you said everything is moving forward, full steam ahead, but has anything been disrupted uh, during the building process from a pandemic standpoint?
6: You know what? No, we're actually still on schedule. I think we're very lucky in the partners we have, both on the construction side and the general contractor side. We've kept kept it a safe site. Um, As of Friday, we were without incident. And so our team down there is really taking this seriously, the safe and health health of the employees, working with city officials, the health department. Um, But we want to make sure that the health and well-being of the employees is first and foremost.
3: Carolyn kendall Betts, CEO of MLS for the Lou with Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Does the delay cause a delay in hiring administration and coaching for the franchise?
6: We did sort of have to do a hiring freeze because, like I said, we just didn't know. Um, But now we're excited to bring it back. um, We're ready. We're in a good spot to start building that executive team. Um, One of the things that I think I've been most excited about was we've had a lot of interest, obviously locally, all over the nation, but some international interest as well. And so it makes you feel good that people are watching and looking at St. Louis and applying for these jobs. And so... We are very excited when we can announce um, some of these key executive positions.
1: Carolyn, I just I, I look at August thirteenth and the fact that we finally have a firm date for you to announce the team name and to hear you talk about the stadium, how it's it's moving forward and and you're hiring people and you, and all of these pieces seem to be slowly getting put into place. What is that like for you as somebody that? Uh, uh, you know, about a year ago just kind of got into this and this was all brand new for you to to look down the road and say, hey, this is all finally coming together and we can slowly see what it's going to look like at the end?
6: You know, it's been great um, how well this team has worked through this pandemic and how hard we've worked. So to wake up yesterday morning and be able to actually announce a date, I mean, I kind of reminded of myself of Home Alone when Macaulay Culkin's running around the house. I was so excited (laughs) because there's a date. And to your point, you know, after all this hard work, um, certainly the delay, it's so refreshing to see um, and be able to unveil just how much heart and soul has gone into this for the, the 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 team name the colors and the crust. And so it's, it's so exciting and I'm, I'm doing the countdown. I can't wait.
3: Uh, Carolyn, when you started this process, did you have any idea, you mentioned all the consulting people that you had in putting the, this all together with names and colors and everything that goes into it. Did you have any idea how in depth it is to put something like this together?
6: Um, absolutely not, um, but I will say on the positive, I learned something new every day, and I knew I was never going to be able to come up with a team name, but the process and the journey has been so exciting. We've met great people, um, and I'm doing things I never thought I would do, so the simple answer is <clears throat> no, I did not, but I've, I'm really excited that I you know, took this journey on and um, that I've gotten to experience some of the things that I've gotten to experience.
1: Carolyn, you knew that this was a great sports town. You knew this was an unbelievable soccer market. So you knew that this would be a success here. But when the XFL came to town and you saw a football-scorned market, except the Battle Hawks in the way that they did, what was that like for your group, the MLS for the Lou group, to look at that and say, hey, if the XFL can have this type of success here, uh, given what football has, uh, the state of football here in St. Louis, imagine what it's going to be like when soccer comes to St. Louis. What was that like for you to watch their success?
6: I mean, it was just incredible. And, I mean, we went to games. Um, You know, we all went to the first game. Um, I I think it just goes to show how, like, exactly what you said. St. Louis is so passionate about, you know, their sports and new sports. And so, um, unfortunately, XFL ended the way that it did. But it definitely helped our story when we would say, you want proof that St. Louis is a sports town? Well, here's a new team coming in. And it was just incredible. The vibe, the energy, at the game I went to. I hope we have that times 10.
3: Oh, I, I think we will. Carolyn Kindlebets, the CEO of MLS for the Lou on 101 ESPN. And we know that you're competitive. We know that you want to win championships. And a couple of years ago, Atlanta won in their second year. How confident are you that you'll be afforded the opportunities like Atlanta to put together a representative roster to win early?
6: You know, I, I don't know how to answer that question because I've never had to put together a team before. But when we hire that chief sporting officer, I'm going to let you ask him or her that question because they have a better answer than I do. Yes, I am deeply competitive, so yes, I hope to have that winning team sooner than later, Um, However, I I don't know how to put together a team. So um, (laughs) save that for when we have somebody for you that's more of a a specialist in that area.
3: But Carolyn, I do know this because of your background. You know to surround yourself with people that are smarter about what that subject is than you. That's how you win, right?
6: Absolutely. And I can hold them accountable to a delegate (laughs) responsibilities.
3: That's what it's all about. Hey, we're so excited about August 13th. And once again, people can go to MLS for the upload their photo, and they can be one of the 700 people that are virtually sitting in the auditorium as the name and the crest and the colors are unveiled. And we're really looking forward to it. And we appreciate your time today.
6: Thank you. You too. Have a great
3: day. You too. See you later. That is Carolyn Kindle Betts, the CEO of MLS for the Lou. And people have, heck, we've been waiting for a long time, mm-hmm. impatiently, I might add, for the name and the colors. So we're only a couple of weeks away, three weeks away from that unveiling.
1: Take it or leave it, Randy. By the time you go to sleep on August 13th, you will have purchased a scarf for our soccer oh, team. <laughs> totally
3: take it. And take it or leave it, the team colors are going to be pink and blue.
1: I'm gonna leave that. Okay. Even though I think it could be fun, I'm gonna leave that.
3: All right. I, I had to th- get that out there, right? We 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 came up with some good questions just to get a hint.
1: So yeah, the the team colors pink and blue, uh, something to do with with the hill and soccer in St. Louis. That would be good. It'd but be I don't think if, it's gonna be that.
3: So you don't think that they're gonna have like uh, cannons with pink and blue coming out for a reveal?
1: Well, it's not a gender reveal, Randy.
3: <laughs> good. It's a
1: name unveiling, (laughs) but I will say I was reading the article, uh, Ben Fred's article and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and seeing that they were going to originally do the... Uh, unveiling at a, a local or a very historic place in St. Louis kind of got my wheels turning as to the symbolism there and potentially mm-hmm. what that could, what that venue could have been therefore what the name could have been because you know they would have been connected in some way and I have some ideas I have some ideas.
3: That's Michelle I'm Randy and this is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up the NFL apparently listened to their players social media requests and they might get to camp.
2: That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: Michelle, yesterday we talked about how over the weekend NFL players had gone and blitzed social media saying, hashtag, we want to play, but being concerned about the NFL moving forward without any real testing protocols in place. Well, after that blitz, the NFL made an offer to the NFLPA that includes no preseason games this year, uh, acclimation period from seven days to 18 days to ramp up simply because players haven't been in any camp at all, whether it was an offseason program or an OTA or a mini camp, plus an Opt out for any player that's been part of the league's previous offer and pre-entry testing. This is the big thing. A player would have to test negative on two separate occasions separated by 72 hours to be able to participate in camp.
1: Which all sounds like good steps forward, but it's a real shame that the NFL had to wait to get to this point for their players to blitz them on social media saying, hey, we want to play. We don't really know even what the testing is going to look like as we quickly are approaching the day we're supposed to return to work. What's the deal? They should have had all of this ironed out weeks ago.
3: It should have been extremely easy too, just like baseball but at least early on mlb had a plan in place and it was the first thing that the nhl negotiated it seems like to me the nfl thought that we would have a miracle and the pandemic would go away and they'd be able to start on time but i don't think that they read the room very well
1: wait randy you're telling me that the NFL was so arrogant that they thought that nothing could penetrate the shield and that they were above repercussions. You mean to tell me that?
3: Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
1: That is so outside of their character. That would never happen. I don't believe it for a kn- second. I know
3: it's shocking to you, but there are just things that make me believe that the NFL... Thinks that they're more powerful than they really are. Wow. They think they're more powerful than the government, and uh, they, the government has been given has given them no reason to think otherwise. Now they think they're more powerful than a global pandemic.
1: But Randy, they've shown us so many times throughout history that their first and really only priority is the health and safety of their players. So so while the players were coming out and tweeting, we want to play, and they say, hey, we don't really know what's going on, we know that the NFL was really just working out the kinks because they only care about the health and safety of their players.
3: (laughs) They do say, in terms of health and safety, that once a player tests negative on two separate occasions – Then the first two weeks, they guarantee daily testing for the players. I would think that NFL players are probably, in terms of getting out on the town and doing stuff, of the four major sports, they're the group most likely to have one or two, maybe it's because they have more, that would get out and contract the virus.
1: Yeah, I would take that, based on... What we've seen, lifestyle mm-hmm. choices, um, and Randy, we're going to talk about this later. And you're killing me, Smalls, but the fact that the NBA has zero positive COVID tests in the bubble, do you think? Are you looking at the NFL and Major League Baseball being like, eh, maybe we should have done a bubble approach here, guys? Maybe the NBA actually thought this through logistically, and mm-hmm. their chances of keeping all of their players healthy is much higher than you guys traveling about.
3: I'm sure that they're looking at that, but it's much easier to set up basketball courts than it is to set up football fields or baseball fields. Having four or five baseball fields within the scope of a bubble i guess you could do it but it'd, it'd have to be in florida or arizona at a team's facility right
1: it would and the last time i know that a lot of these teams were dealing with losses of biblical proportions yes but the last i checked they're still worth billions of dollars they could handle it. and could have made it happen if that's what they wanted to do right
3: yeah they could have <laughs> yeah and the nfl still could still but, could uh, again you, you have to get yourself in a situation though and it, especially if you don't have college football, maybe playing 16 games a week with two stadiums in a city wouldn't be overwhelming. Maybe they could do that. Maybe. But they're not. They're not. No, they won't. We're going to start with the NFL. By the way, Michael Bennett, uh, former member of the Seahawks, won a Super Bowl there. He's been with the Eagles, Patriots. Uh, He's been around the block. He has announced that he's retiring. Also, Michelle, we've heard a lot about baseball and the social justice protocols being put in place uh, for baseball. And the Cardinals actually had a long discussion last night about social justice. The Giants, including their manager Gabe Kapler, uh, plan to kneel during the anthem and get Kapler and several Giants players knelt during the national anthem last night before an exhibition game against Oakland. So now you've got management people involved.
1: Which... I am not surprised by because it seems like in the sports the sports sphere we've seen more players, coaches, really even organizations. Period. Mark Cuban
3: says he would
1: exactly come come out and be very emphatic in their stance in regards to Black Life Black Lives Matter and social justice in our country. And so I'm am not, I'm not surprised to see members of all all different levels of an organization you know do something to show where they stand
3: here's where i am on this if i were a sports league with no fans and because of the fact that over the years i haven't shown the national anthem on tv i don't i I don't so what's the point of having a national anthem before a game with no fans it's not going to be shown on tv anyway
1: that's a good point i always wondered why the national anthem was played at sporting events period
3: uh, I heard Taylor Twellman on ESPN Radio a couple of weeks ago saying that America is the only country where it does get played. In uh, European soccer, it doesn't get played. When you're in European uh, hockey, they don't play it. This is the only country where they play the national anthem before sporting events, and I don't know why it's the case either.
1: I could see it if it was an Olympic type setting and you had people from all different countries competing and obviously when they win a gold medal you get to hear the national mm-hmm. anthem. But I never really understood what was so patriotic about people playing a game for millions of dollars. I mean maybe it's the gathering of people to show respect for our country, but you don't you don't do it at a lot li- no. you don't do it at a concert where there's a gathering of people right. to for an entertainment purpose. There's not a national anthem played before Metallica hits the stage.
3: If I'm not mistaken, this started in World War One, and you can understand during wartime where it would become an issue. And playing "God Bless America" at baseball games before the or during the seventh inning stretch after 9/11, but during times where there isn't, uh, and we should always be patriotic, but I'm talking about where there's not an intensely patriotic need for it. Mm-hmm. I I think it became a tradition and it just never
2: stopped.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: That's the way it looks to me. Uh, A couple of other notes for you on uh, Fresh Take Here. If you haven't heard, you're just uh, getting in your car and driving to work. The Cardinals have decided to put Carlos Martinez in the rotation. And KK Kim will be the closer, at least on opening night, against the Pirates on Friday night. Martinez, according to Mike Schilt, doing everything that he needed to do to become a starter for the club. And so, Kim, I think this is the most interesting part of the whole deal, will be the closer. And Ryan Helsley, by the way, is not the closer.
1: You know, we had mentioned him potentially sliding into the bullpen, but over the past few days when we've been weighing the options, if it wasn't Carlos... Kim wasn't really in the conversation for us. It was something that we used offhand, but it wasn't something that we really heavily discussed. So you're right. Here's a guy who historically has been a starting pitcher. He has shown what he's capable of doing there and hasn't been a closer before. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out.
3: It'll be like John Smoltz. He'll have John Smoltz-type success in the bullpen. Kim will. Really? Hot take there. John Smoltz had never been a reliever before. And they they didn't let him be a middle reliever. They just let him take over as the closer. And, heck, he made the Hall of Fame in no small part because of what he was able to do as a closer. In addition to being one of the best starters, when he was a closer, he was the best closer.
1: So you think Kim will wear a Cardinals cap when he goes into the Hall of Fame, Randy?
3: Yes, I do. Okay, great. I don't think it'll be a a blank cap like Tony. (laughs) It's... uh, because it is the Baseball Hall of Fame, so he could wear his Korean League cap where he played a long time.
1: That would be kind of cool.
3: Yeah, but no. it's Because he's going to set records and win World Series with the Cardinals.
1: You're right, you're right.
3: And don't forget, we are going to be at Ballpark Village on opening day. As a matter of fact, the entire station from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. All the shows are going to be at Ballpark Village. Steps away from the ballpark atop the Budweiser Brew House. In Ballpark Village, opening day coverage on 101 ESPN all day. Brought to you by Saliga Heating and Cooling and by Rawlings. And we're all looking forward to that. It should be a great day.
1: I'm so excited for Friday it almost doesn't seem real we've waited so long for this day and now that it's it's right here I'm kind of holding my breath while we know it's going to it's going to happen I just keep waiting for something to disrupt it because that's been our (laughs) luck in 2020 Randy
3: (laughs) and the Cardinals will have an inter squad game today a nine inning a full full inter squad game and then tomorrow they have Kansas City in town for an exhibition game an optional workout on Thursday and then Friday they're off and running for the 60 game sprint
1: we're ready
2: we will do it. Coming up, we've got The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Carriker and Smallman.
1: It's Carragher Smallman here on 101 ESPN, 832, which means it is time for the fight. We are welcoming in John, who is our competitor today. John, good morning. Morning, thanks. All right, John, question number one as we start the fight here. Carlos Martinez returns to the rotation for the Cardinals. How old was Carlos when he made his debut with the Cardinals? Was it 20, 21, or 22?
5: Go with 20. All right, John, question number two. Ryan O'Reilly was named a finalist for the Selkie. Prior to him, who was the last blue to win the award? Was it Rick Maher, Bernie Federico, or Pavel Dimitra?
2: Uh, Let's go Pavel Dimitra.
5: All
1: right, John, question number three. Last season, the Cardinals season ended by getting All right, let me start that over (laughs) last year the Cardinals season ended by getting swept by the eventual World Series champions the Washington Nationals what team swept in the postseason prior to that was it the Red Sox the Dodgers or the Cubs
2: they got swept out of the series or
5: swept another team they got swept out of the series okay would you say the choices one more time
1: Hold on, just to make sure we're clear here. So this is the Cardinals got swept by? Correct. Okay, so here's the question, John. Who is the last team that swept the Cardinals in the postseason prior to the Washington Nationals and last year's NLCS? Sorry about that. Was it the Red Sox, the Dodgers, or the Cubs?
5: The Red Sox. All right, John, and final question for you. The Blues will turn to play August 2nd. Who was the last team they beat prior to the stoppage this season? Was it the sharks, the ducks or the kings? Uh the kings.
1: All right?
5: Yeah, we'll get a uh, yeah, we'll get Randy back in here. Sorry about that, John. I Ran- I worded the third question terribly.
1: <laughs> Randy <laughs> oh, no is problem. walking back in. Randy, say good morning to John.
3: Morning, John. How you doing? Morning, Randy. Great, thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it.
1: All right, Randy, question number one. Carlos Martinez is returning to the rotation. Mm -hmm. How old was Carlos when he made his debut at the Cardinals?
5: I believe he was 20. All right, question number two for your Randy. Ryan O'Reilly was named a finalist for the Selkie. Prior to him, who was the last blue to win the award? I think I'm going to go
3: with Rick Mahar. I'll go with Ricky Mahar. Just roll the dice on
0: that one.
1: Randy, last year the Cardinals were swept in the NLCS by the Washington oh. Nationals. <laughs> yeah, bad memories. What was the last team to sweep the Cardinals in the postseason prior to the Nationals?
3: I'm thinking the 9 Dodgers. That's the first one that comes to mind for me. Um, that was the famous Matt Holliday. Uh off the fruit basket series. I'll go with the uh, 0-9 Dodgers in the first round. Oh, hold on, hold on. Oh, yeah, it is. I, w- I was thinking Cubs there for a second, but no, the Cubs. Lackey one game one against the Cubs.
5: All right, and question number four for you, Randy. The Blues will return to play August 2nd. Who is the last team they beat prior to the stoppage? Anaheim.
1: We've got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carracker
2: you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service Dobbs
1: sorry John Randy beat you four to nothing let's run through the answers here Carlos Martinez was 21 when he made his debut with the Cardinals I said 20 oh you did
5: yeah oh
3: yeah, so it was, it was three three to one,
1: three to one. Sorry, I got all tied up here. Which one? <laughs> did you want to run through the answers? <laughs> you got it right. Yeah, I
5: can try. I'm sorry. So, that question number two, Randy, you did get it right. It was Rick Ma- is Maher. That's Mahar. Pre- Mahar. excuse me for the wrong pronunciation. The Dodgers did sweep the or the Cardinals back in 2009. You're right about that. On the third question and number four, Anaheim did beat the Blues. Or got beat by the Blues in uh, question number four in their last win. So, there we go. So, you won three to one.
1: There you go. Thanks for playing, John. <laughs>
3: Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, Michelle, do you ever celebrate Christmas in July?
1: No, I don't. Shut I? There are
3: a lot of Christmas in July sales. I, I, for whatever reason, we're getting a lot of QVC boxes at home <laughs> because of Christmas in July. I just wondered if you were part of that thing that uh, pe- people spend a lot of money on Christmas in July, on Christmas stuff.
1: I was just going to ask. So you're buying specific Christmas items? Yeah,
3: it's like uh, Christmas lights and trees and ornaments and decorations and stuff like that, Yeah. So I just saw a listing for Christmas in July, so I just was wondering if you were into that.
1: So it's it's very discounted.
3: Yeah, it is. And then you have to store it, but then it's like it's new when you take it out in December.
1: Yeah. But then it seems like, okay, it arrives, you have to open it up, check it out, make sure it looks good. Then you have to re-box it up and store it away for mm-hmm. half a year. Seems like a lot of effort.
3: It is kind of a lot of effort. That's (laughs) why I don't participate, but I'm just telling you, my house, it shows up on the doorstep. I don't know where it comes from.
1: So your house is a big Christmas house. Yeah, it is. How long do you leave your lights up?
3: Uh, Usually mid to the third week of January.
1: That's not Hmm. too excessive. Oh, yeah, wow. I,
3: I think there is like a, a day in January. People can help. 65780, oh, there, there is a day that Christmas officially does come to an end in January.
1: Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know but that.
3: I, I, I'm not sure what it's called, but there is one. The Giants and Jets today announced that due to the ongoing public health crisis, that uh, all public gatherings will apply to events at MetLife Stadium until further notice so the Giants and Jets will play games without fans in the stands officially. That has not been a league-wide mandate yet, but New York is taking preemptive action and saying that uh, the training camps and practices will not be open to the public in addition to any games. And We're going to talk later about the fact that uh, the NFL has offered no exhibition games, which I think fans pretty much are on board with. Uh, As as a season ticket holder, when you have to pay full price for two exhibition games, it's it's kind of price gouging. It's not fair.
1: Right. Um, Do you think there's going to be any team, Randy, that is going to... Who do you think, I guess, is going to be the last team to make this stand about fans? Because I think universally, as this thing goes on, we're going to see every team have to make that decision whether they want to or not. But which team in the NFL do you think is going to say, even to the last minute, maybe we can sneak some in there?
3: Obviously, the Rams come to mind... Just because of the new stadium. But
1: they're not gonna have people there anyway.
3: That's a good point. But maybe fans of the other team. I'm <laughs> guessing I'm guessing a team I'll go with I don't know if the Falcons can do it. Blank is a pretty forward thinking guy. I, I was thinking a team in the southeast in SEC country, mm-hmm. but maybe not. I don't think you can do it if you're in a hot spot like Arizona or Florida. Um how about the Tennessee Titans?
1: That's an interesting choice.
3: What are you thinking?
1: Hmm. I was thinking, I don't know why, because I feel like organizationally they wouldn't make this choice. But the first thing that came to my mind from a fan perspective was the Green Bay Packers.
3: That was the one I was just going to bring up. It's not a hot spot. And it, obviously... It
1: everything the, there.
3: Right. And because they're, the fans are intense and because it is everything to them... You would think that in an 80,000-seat stadium, they've if they could find a way to get 15,000 people in, that they would?
1: I would think that they're going to try and figure out a way.
3: So uh, I know somebody with the Packers. I'll see if I can find out.
1: Yeah, find out for us.
3: Yeah. Uh, what about the Chiefs?
1: I could see it. I we, week one, see it.
3: banner raising?
1: Banner, yep, I was just going to say, they've got a lot to celebrate, and fans are certainly going to want to be there.
3: That's a great call from the 573. Texts, uh, by the way, uh, my wife says, after January 7th, anything Christmas is considered tacky.
1: Oh, January 7th.
3: That's pretty early.
1: I was going to say, I, I would drive in my neighborhood, and there's people that had Christmas stuff up well into February. Really? Yeah. And Ranji I wrote, did
3: that for years. Ranji he, he, did? He had a, a tree up in Chicago for years.
1: A, okay. We're not talking a, lights outside. We're talking a tree inside.
3: Tree inside that they just decided not to take down.
1: Why is that? What was his rationale? Laziness. Great. Okay. Yeah.
3: So, And he and his roommates decided to keep it up.
1: I will say this: It does bring you a lot of cheer. It does. When it's cold outside, you're curled up watching a movie, maybe maybe a hockey game. Having the glow of the tree there, it is nice.
3: It is good to have, but it gets old after a while. We have the smartest listenership in the world.
1: Yeah, we do. So
3: from the 618, the epiphany is the end of Christmas season. That's January 6th. And multiple people have told us that January 6th is the date at which Christmas kind of comes to an end. So that would lend credence to the January 7th date. But I think we usually, I'm usually more quick to take the Christmas tree down. I'm more right after New Year's or maybe New Year's Day if there's nothing going on before the games start. But uh, no, we keep it up around a while.
1: I always felt that that was the play, New Year's Day before you start watching college football. Yeah. Just get it done.
3: Get it That's the key. Because otherwise, once you go back to work, it's more of a hassle to get it done. So now you know via radio on 101 ESPN. Uh, coming up here on 101 ESPN, Eno uh, kind of got ahead of the game at The Athletic. We'll tell you why
2: next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: All right, we're going to get you up to date on some of the baseball news and notes that are happening. And uh, first, we want you to know that former Cardinal Matt Adams has found a new home. Michelle, he was in camp with the Mets, had an opt out, opted out earlier this week, and he had been with Atlanta before. When Yasiel Puig tested positive and didn't sign with Atlanta, Atlanta said to Matt Adams, hey, come back here. So Adams has signed a minor league deal and presumably will have the opportunity to get a lot of at-bats as the DH with the Braves.
1: Glad to hear that big city found a new home.
3: Yeah, an old home is a new home for him. And by the way, when he w- was with the Braves, after the Cardinals traded him. That was the mm-hmm. second team. That's right. And when he was with them, he was really productive for that year that he was there. So he'll be a good fit. And he and Marcelo Zuna, a couple of former Cardinals in the Middle of that lineup,
1: now Randy, um, take it or leave it. While they called him Big City, that was his primary mm-hmm. nickname. Jumbo Pepsi was the better nickname for Matt Adams. That
3: was my favorite. Me too. And I think once once he became like Small Pepsi, <laughs>
1: yeah. So
3: you had to make it Big City.
1: He became Coke Zero.
3: Yeah. And and credit to uh, his now wife here in St. Louis. He's in great shape. Great shape. So we wish him the best with the Braves this year. At The Athletic, Anosaris had an article about two bold statements, and one of them was really bold. Uh, Yesterday, he said that he thought that Ryan Helsley would lead the Cardinals in saves. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna leave that one.
1: Yeah, I'm going to leave that one, too. Um, I wonder how he felt about that hot take then when he got the news from Mike Show last night yeah. about who the Cardinals closer would be.
3: Not great. He also, fortunately for us, because he has Helsley leading the Cardinals in saves, he has the Reds winning the division. A lot of people are picking the Reds. They're a trendy pick, and they should be a trendy pick. They were my pick during spring training, but like we said yesterday... There is question about how they'll handle the intensity of a 60-game season. When every game is a playoff game, how does a young team that hasn't been through it handle it? Yeah. That's. And a manager, too. David Bell hasn't handled it as a manager yet, either.
1: Managing is going to be critical this season, and that's why I think the Cardinals are in such a great spot, to have a, a guy like Mike Schilt, who has experienced a lot throughout his baseball career, from a managing standpoint.
3: He really has. And one of the things that he talked about earlier is that he managed Carlos Martinez back in 2012 in Springfield, when they won a championship, and... We asked for your mic drops. How do you feel about Carlos Martinez as the Cardinals' number five starter rather than the closer? And Brooks has joined us with a mic drop on 101 ESPN.
5: I'm curious to see how long he's going to be the number five starter. I think by the end of the season, you'll have a one and one A with Flaherty and Martinez. I think with his ability and his natural pitches that you can't teach. I think they're just so nasty. And with Flaherty and Martinez, as you're one and two, you have the ability to win any series.
3: You get into a playoff, and if if Carlos is at the top of his game, if you just go, man, if you're if you're playing a seven, which starter do you leave out? Because generally in a seven game series, you go with a four man rotation. Which starter would you leave out in a scenario like this? If there's a lot of ifs here, but KK has to be performing at the back end of the bullpen. Yes. And Carlos obviously is uh, in your rotation, but he's also got the greatest recent experience in your bullpen. But if he's 1A, like Brooks says, it's Flaherty and Martinez as your 1 and 2 in a playoff series.
1: Okay, so if it's Flaherty and Martinez as your 1 and 2, you're not going to leave out Wainwright, right? No, right. Between Hudson and Michaelis, who, ooh, that's tough.
3: Yeah, have a guy that won 18 games two years ago and a guy that won 17 games last year. Maybe it depends on the opponent.
1: Yeah, maybe it depends on the opponent. It, it will obviously depend on what their season has looked like up until that point. But, yeah, that would be a difficult decision.
3: That's a decision that you hope Mike Schild has to make, isn't it?
1: Because then we're talking about playoffs? Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
3: (laughs) Uh, A couple of texts, 65780, and uh, from the 636, I wanted a lefty in the rotation. And ideally, we'd all love to have a left-hander in the rotation. But it comes down to who gets the most hitters out. Right. And they clearly believe that the guy who, over the course of a dozen starts, can get the most guys out is Martinez. Not that that's a negative against KK. I hope that this is just a positive about how impressed they are and how impressive Carlos Martinez will be.
1: You were on the call last night, right, Randy? I was. So when Mike Schilt was talking about the fact that he was – choosing to make carlos martinez a starting pitcher it seemed to me like the sound that we played earlier that he talked about carlos's abilities as a starter and how he had earned this was there any mention of why kk would be a great fit specifically in this role because i, I know he had talked about the, the things that they liked about him but why specifically in this role did he feel that so confident making this choice
3: three things first one because he's done it before. He did it in Korea for several years before he became a starter. Secondly, as he brought up, the fact that he gets ground balls and doesn't walk people. That's really important. And third is that he's just got the demeanor. He's he's a guy that they don't think will look at any situation as too big. A lot of guys can get overwhelmed mm-hmm. by coming in in the ninth inning and... Uh, we'll mention it again, it's going to be different without fans, but still there's a lot of pressure in pitching the ninth inning. They are worried about KK dealing with the pressures of the ninth inning. So I think those are the three biggest ones.
1: It'll be for, for KK to be coming to St. Louis fresh, brand new and not have the fans there and be in this new role. That's going to be very interesting to see how he reacts to that. Because for somebody like Carlos, who knows what it's like, he can mm-hmm. conceptualize how many people are watching at home because, uh-huh. and how many people are watching rabidly in St. Louis because he's been here, he's experienced that for KK. He's just going out there to do his job. He's never really had to experience the pressure of St. Louis Cardinals baseball.
3: And I know this is a, a complete generalization, and I hate to do this, but culturally, When you look at Korean pitchers that have come over, whether it was Sum Wano closing here or Chan Ho Park, uh, the the guys that we have seen, byung Young Kim, who was the closer for the Diamondbacks, they just seem to be such flatline, non-emotional guys. And I, I have to believe when they talk about demeanor, that's part of it, is that he is... He's not affected emotionally by anything that happens.
1: You're, a, you're able to put those blinders up and just focus at the task on the task at hand.
3: Right. He's not throwing a glove down on the ground when something bad happens.
1: And that's a good thing.
3: It really is. <laughs> well, let's get another mic drop here on 101 ESPN. This is Philip.
2: I think Carlos Martinez is going to flourish as a starter this year. I think the short season is going to benefit him. And he will have a very successful season and, and be one of the best starters on the team.
3: I hope so. So do I. And, hey, I have – I don't mention this enough. I have more faith in Mike Schilt and Mike Maddox's ability to evaluate these guys than my own ability to evaluate these guys. They've been around. They know what they're doing. Mike mike Schilt made the point last night. Mike Maddox has been around for almost 40 years in Major League Baseball making decisions like this. So these guys have had three weeks to see these guys in this new environment. So am I going to trust Myself, or am I going to trust them? I, I'm going to trust them. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy that I don't believe that I know more than Mike Schilt, but I don't.
1: Yeah, especially when it when it because there's so much more that goes into this other than just stuff. It, there's a lot mm-hmm. of components with a with a human being and a player that you have to take into consideration. Yeah. So if they think Carlos is ready and he's the best guy to put in the rotation, I'm going to defer to them as well.
3: One thing Tony larusso would always tell us in the media is never forget, I know more about what's going on around here than you guys do.
1: Even us, <laughs> who gets information from yep. the inside and can give informed opinions uh, here, we still don't know everything that's going on. No, we don't. We, and we never will.
3: Yeah, Another text from the 314, don't be conflicted, Smalls. Carlos doesn't have the mindset of a closer. He takes a couple of innings to get locked in.
1: But so that might not be great if he's a starting pitcher. <laughs> you don't want to be
3: blowing it in the first inning, but at least you have eight more innings to get straightened out. If you blow it in the ninth inning, the game's over.
1: Well, how many innings are we expecting him to go?
3: Oh, he went 95 pitches and in seven innings down in the Dominican so before he got here, right?
1: Do you really think that they're going to let him go seven?
3: No. I would yeah. think that he'll probably early on max out at 90 pitches. Mm-hmm. I would think everybody, Flaherty, Wayno. Michaelis and Hudson might not even get that many but no I don't think Carlos goes 90 in his first start.
1: But at least you know he could give it to you if need yeah, be.
3: I'm intrigued. I'm and I and I'm excited for him. I hope that he is what he was as a starter for a 3-year stretch. 14, 15, 16 he was really really good. Hopefully he can get back to what he was.
1: That's the great part about this is we know he can do it. Yeah. We know that he can be an elite starting pitcher.
3: The ability is there, and he just needs to to wrap his head around it. And if he can do that, hey, he was compared to Pedro Martinez as a young pitcher.
1: Yeah, baby Pedro.
3: Right. So that's still there. It's It, it hasn't changed. He really hasn't had the arm injury. He still throws hard. He's still got a great repertoire. So... Maybe this will happen under Mike Schilt and Mike Maddox. We have to hope so. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to talk to the new host of our new ESPN morning show, Zubin Mahente of Keyshawn, Jay Will, and uh,
2: Zubin is next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: A week and a half on, is it August 1st? I believe. I think it is. Let me just check the uh, calendar here. Uh, August, hold on. I'm not good with calendars, Michelle, as you know. (laughs) I'm not either. It is uh, August 3rd. We'll have a new show here on 101 ESPN. Before us, it's going to be called. Keyshawn Jay and Zubin, Zubin Mahente is going to be the point man for that program. He's going to join us in a few moments here on 101 ESPN on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. But, Michelle, you were telling me earlier, and we start at 7, so our lives are... Not dramatically affected by getting up early in the morning. We don't sleep as long as we want, but most people don't. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing a show that starts at 5 in the morning, a national show that starts at 5 in the morning, that's a life changer.
1: That's You're getting up every day when it's pitch black outside all the time. And for us, I think on the weekends, if you stay up a little bit later and you disrupt your sleep patterns a little bit, it's not that difficult to bounce back on a Monday. And for us, we've gotten into a routine where we do most of our prep the night before. And especially with games starting again, it's going to be much easier to do that as well. So there's not a lot of heavy lifting in the morning. You wake up, you read some stuff, you go over your notes. But it's not as if we're starting from scratch. For these guys, they're going to bed a lot of times before the game starts, so mm-hmm. you're getting up that much earlier so that you can get caught up on everything. So I would imagine they're getting up at one forty five, two in the morning. At least if you're a producer. If you're yeah. if you're well, I guess if they're starting a show new, they're probably getting up that early until they get into the Just swing of Get things. into a
3: groove, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's gotta be no thanks, Randy.
3: <laughs> I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the air. I have mentioned it to you, but this is the first job in my life that I've ever had to get up for. Uh, I have, uh, since I was 15, I've had jobs that worked at night or in the afternoons. So I went from age 15, my first job, to age 57, being able to sleep in if I needed to. If And I, I've woken up early, but I've never had to get up in the morning for a job until now. And that's why I'm a little bit surprised that I haven't uh, been late yet.
1: Not once. Nope. Not even kind of close. Not even a close call. No,
3: no, I'm I'm here an hour before showtime every single day. Look at you. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of proud of myself in that regard.
1: When you didn't have to set an alarm before, what was the general time that you would sleep in until?
3: It was different before I had kids. But once you get kids, you get up early. I was up at 6.45, 7 every single morning.
1: So this is not super difficult for no, you.
3: No, it's really not. So, But I, I, I would think that it'll be difficult for Zubin. And by the way, Keyshawn has been doing a show in L.A. at the ESPN affiliate in L.A. It's an owned and operated station there. And one of the interesting things about the new show is that they they ran a local show in Los Angeles. Because of Keyshawn's popularity there, they're going to run this show on the ESPN station in Los Angeles. So he'll still be on there.
1: It's important to touch those two big markets, Randy, L.A. and New York. If right. you can, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, right? And
3: a first-round overall pick by the Jets, very mm-hmm. popular, played under Parcells in New York, and then goes out and go, returns to where he grew up and played at USC. So. At the very least, ESPN has that covered.
1: I always wonder what it's like for somebody like Keyshawn or for Jay Williams who played in the league and obviously have great relationships with people who are still playing or who are still involved in their respective sports. We know people on teams through our jobs. While we may have some sort of a personal relationship with them, it's always tied in a professional vein, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas these guys, it's got to be difficult for you to come on a show where you're required to give your opinion, whether it's good or bad, knowing that you will have to... Repeat that or double down on it to people you actually know in real life and that you care for and respect.
3: That's why I have such respect for a guy like Joey Vitale. And granted, things have been good for Joey here, but he understands that he's retired and he can criticize guys, but he he criticizes them from a point of knowledge and he's, he's not ripping somebody, he doesn't rip anybody, but he's not being critical just for the sake of being critical. And I think that's one thing that's really difficult for former players is to recognize that you are retired mm-hmm. and you can be critical, but you can be fair. And that that's the approach I always try to take when I'm, and I always try to make myself available to the players if I'm going to be critical of them, but... Especially as a former player, you know more than anybody else. So if something goes wrong, all you have to do is explain why that happened and what went wrong and what the player did wrong. It's really not that difficult. And if if that's the explanation, then what complaint would a player have?
1: But it, you have to put yourself in a player's mindset where for years they've been programmed to not say anything or not say anything yes. disruptive or controversial and to to not make it about them, unless they're a really big star player where they're allowed to do that or that's their attitude or their demeanor. But to go from, hey, I'm being trained to not say anything to then now I'm being trained to say everything, that has to be a tough transition. And
3: I wonder how long that takes because I was... Uh What was it? Oh, I know what what it was. Last night I was just flipping through channels and the playoff game a couple of years ago between Jacksonville and Pittsburgh was on. And Dan Fouts was doing the analysis and was talking about what a terrible throw Blake Borders made. He said, that's just a terrible throw. You can't make that (laughs) throw. And you wonder how long it takes for a former quarterback who knows how difficult it is to be able to say... Yeah, that, that was just terrible. And and I'm sure that Fouts, when he made a bad throw, said that about himself. Right. And that's probably the best way to do do it as a former athlete, unless you were awesome, unless you were Peyton Manning or Tom Brady is, and Fouts is a Hall of Famer. But would I say that about myself if I made that throw? That's You ask yourself that question.
1: Or you ask yourself, if I went to Bortles right now and said, how would you describe that throw? Yeah. Would they say anything differently?
3: No, not not quarterback to quarterback. They absolutely right. would not. So it's a difficult thing, and I, I think we see it here. I think that uh, uh, as incisive as a guy like Jim Edmonds is, and I, I, he teaches me about baseball all the time, yeah. but I think that especially because he works with guys during spring training, it's got to be difficult to be critical of those guys that you have developed really good relationships with, but... Even though you know something could be done better, you're explaining it that way. Here's here's how it could be done better rather than being critical of the person. And I have no problem with that.
1: Well, and if you're also looking at it from a player's perspective, he he knows all the work that's been put yep. into it. He's imagining, okay, if I was in the batter's box and I saw this pitch, this is y- you could easily, well, not in every situation, but in a lot of situations, understand why a player reacted a certain way, mm-hmm. which makes it therefore much more difficult, I think, to criticize them. Where for us, we've never been in the batter's box, we've never understood what what it's like to face this pitcher. We don't know the inner workings of what's going on behind the scenes all of the time. So from a fan's perspective, or sometimes a media perspective. It's very easy to just look at the outcome of a play or the outcome of a game and not have to dig any deeper than that. Right.
3: And when you're doing a show like this, all you have to do is rip Mark Emmert, Roger Goodell, Rob Manfred... Gary Bettman, he's the management people that are screwing up that you know could do a better job. Just rip them. Yeah, of For course. being idiots. Duh,
1: that's and the play.
3: from our standpoint, we've got people that are rippable here in St. Louis that I think will always remain rippable for us, right? Or we
1: could always just defer to the Rams.
3: That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: our rippable person. That's really the only, I would say the only people that we actually rip are the NCAA, the NFL, and the Rams, period. Right?
3: Yeah. And... All very deserving, very too, deserving. Of, of the rippage that occurs. Just
1: a lot of bad decisions.
3: Do you think Zubin just doesn't like us?
1: You know what I think? I think that they put to, as someone who's had to do this before, uh-huh. when I used to have to arrange affiliate interviews for Rosillo or for Danny Canal, mm-hmm. you have a bunch of them back-to-back. And when you're on the phone as a guest, if, say, we kept him five minutes too late, then it pushes everything back five minutes, and so then you know a 9 a.m. call becomes a 9.15 call really quickly, and that's n- no fault of his own. It's just he's probably just a very jovial guy. Everybody just probably, probably likes talking to him. They want to keep him longer than the allotted eight to ten minutes. Well
3: Starting on August 3rd, you'll hear him every day here on 101 ESPN from 5 to 7 before character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about the NBA bubble and how it's not great for some people, but Really, really
2: good for others. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, over the course
3: of the last week or so from the nba bubble in orlando we've heard several players complaining about the the facilities that they are staying in uh, the rooms that they're staying in the food that they're eating and we've talked about how it's natural because they stay in ritz carlton's they stay in the nicest hotels in the world when they're on the road. They don't have any negative travel experiences in the NBA.
1: No, they're flying. You're getting you're driving your luxury vehicle from your million dollar house to the team charter that you get to just walk onto that has a great meal on the plane for you. And then you land, you're escorted via a very comfortable charter bus to a Ritz-Carlton where you have a very great room and anything at your disposal at any time.
3: So a couple of players complained, but one of those not complaining is Oklahoma City's Stephen Adams.
4: Uh, it's all good, mate. Um, let's, get, let's be clear, mate. This, this is not Syria, mate. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. It's not that hard. It's not that difficult, mate. You know what I mean? It's. We're living in a bloody resort, you know. Everyone's got to complain. Everyone has their own preferences, mate. But you know, it's not. <laughs> it's not anything too serious. It's just a bit of a uh, bit of dry food here and there, and yeah, get bored every now and then. But it's all good, man pretty cool it's actually pretty cool because you actually um get to interact with a uh, couple of the other teams plays on the other teams yeah
3: i love perspective i love positive perspective like that
1: it's not syria <laughs> <laughs> and when you put it like that how is anyone going to complain? yeah
3: right <laughs> when you, when... And, and we're living in a resort people pay thousands of dollars a night to stay in the very room that you're staying in
1: people will save up for a year years to give their family that experience yeah but again it's all it's all about context and perspective and what they're used to and they don't they're not thinking hey I'm going to think about what other families are enduring and how many people would love to have this experience. They're thinking, Hey, I don't like this room. My back hurts and I'm not going to be physically ready to go. That's what they're thinking about. They, they have um, the blinders on and they're only worried about their own circumstances. Mm-hmm. So to hear Stephen Adams say that it does put things into perspective a little bit. One it's thing not
5: I, Syria, man.
3: <laughs> One thing I do wonder is as the NHL heads to its bubble, There isn't really a Disney World in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and you're going to have 16 teams and you're going to have to stay in the nicest hotels in Edmonton. I just wonder if there is enough of what NHL players are used to, and they're lower maintenance than the NBA. There's no doubt about that. They'll handle everything fine. But I wonder if it'll be difficult to provide those expected, exquisite conditions that major league professional athletes ordinarily expect. I wonder if Edmonton has the the infrastructure to provide that.
1: That's a good question. And I'm unsure, but I would think that if you're already staying at hotels, they're used to serving guests in that way. And especially some of the hotels that they're staying in probably have nicer food than some of the Disney resorts. Yeah. Well, you would think. And I know the NBA brought in food, et cetera, but... You know, I wouldn't think it would be that much more difficult. Now, from a recreation standpoint, finding space to roam and things to do without being on top of each other, that might be difficult. Or more importantly, coming into contact with other people. Right. That might be difficult. But I think from a hospitality standpoint, these people were made for this, especially in Canada. Yeah. Are you kidding? They were built for this in Canada. Something
3: doesn't go well. Sorry.
1: Sorry. And they're (laughs) thinking... The future of hockey this year depends on us. us. It's on our shoulders. Right. You're talking of very friendly people, people that love hockey, and, and they're getting this responsibility. They're ready to go. I'm not, I will not be surprised at all if they knock it out of the park.
3: I won't either. They, they will love it. Getting back to the NBA, are you shocked that of 346 people tested for COVID 19 in the NBA at the bubble, zero, none, nada tested positive?
1: I'm not. Because when we talked about this logistically, we talked about how the virus might infiltrate the bubble. It would have potentially been from somebody who wasn't staying on on campus or at the resort that would have gone home to their families, etc. But they're testing everyone. so. And, and we when we talked about this weeks ago, when it, this was first announced, I said I wouldn't be surprised if it happens just because of the nature of the virus, because it, it, it people can be asymptomatic and things like that. But we did say, based on what we're seeing on paper, if everyone is getting tested the way that they say they are, it would be impossible almost for the virus to get in.
3: And I think, as it turns out, the snitch line has wound up being an advantage for the league because people are using it. And... If anybody's a piece, piece here and I don't, it's that everybody wants to stay healthy and it appears they want everybody else to stay healthy, too.
1: I also think it helped that pretty early on that Instagram model came out and said, hey, I've already been invited to the bubble mm-hmm. and she put them on blast. So I That's think I think these NBA players realize they. I need to stop in the DMs because I'm gonna get called out. And that's not exactly what I want. Because I think I think one thing that they failed to realize, whoever did ask that, that IG model to come to the bubble, is that Even Instagram models want the NBA to return. Even they want sports to come back. Even they're going to say, hey, bad decision. I'm going to need you to stay healthy because I need to watch my hoops, okay?
3: (laughs) Yeah, and it'll get back to normal next year, and they'll have the first-class hotels and the accommodations (laughs) and the big cars, and uh, they'll get the rides, and they'll get the invites to the – or maybe even be part of a second family. You never know. (laughs) If you hit hit the jackpot. Is that what we call a jackpot? Yeah, maybe not the... Maybe 1A family then.
1: You know, Randy, if one of my girlfriends came to me and said, hey, you know what? I ha- I am the second family and I'm excited about it. I'd be like, really? We're excited about that? I don't know if that's a jackpot. <laughs> I don't know if that's something that's... you'd want to brag about, being the second
3: family. I, I think Miguel Cabrera's number two, as it were,
1: she kind of hit the jackpot. Financially, you mean? Oh,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. Big time. Now... Granted, she literally does have a second family that doesn't have a father, but financially she hit the jackpot.
1: But if you're if you're number one and you are the prime <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this. If if you know that you're you're the second family, you have to know then behind you there's a long list too. While there's someone that gets more credit and takes precedence over you in the family sphere, you know that there's a long line of other side pieces oh, behind yeah. you.
3: But you have to be first in line. That's the key. But you're
1: never going to be first in line. You're always number two.
3: I'm for, I'm talking about first in line financially. Oh,
1: first in line financially. Because first in
3: line financially, Miguel Cabrera gets twenty grand a month. Hmm. And she doesn't even have to deal with him anymore.
1: <laughs> those those checks still cash is what you're telling me.
3: That's all I'm saying. Wow. All right. I want to talk some sports with you for a moment. Oh, yeah, please
1: do. Oh, that wasn't sports, Randy? Side pieces wasn't sports?
3: That's huge. 20 grand a month. I mean, (laughs) who else can pay? Uh, Okay, you've got Bezos. You've got Gates. You've got... There's a select few people in our world, the one percenters, that can pay 20 grand a month and still be fine.
1: She's getting paid more than a lot of athletes.
3: She is. That's right. Are you at all concerned, especially because of what we saw, or at least... Jeremy Rutherford reported that there were several blues that went out to a restaurant slash bar in Clayton and multiples tested positive. Mm -hmm. And they are young people that like to get out. Are you convinced that the NHL players are going to be like all these other athletes that we're talking about and are going to say, hey, we have to sacrifice a little bit. We can't go out for the good of our team and of our league once they get to Edmonton. Is the bubble going to work in Edmonton?
1: I think hockey has the best chance of having the bubble working. Now, while the NBA is in an actual bubble scenario and it's harder to get in, they have those monitors or those Mm. bands that are monitoring their every move and you have the snitch line and you have Instagram models putting you on blast. So I, I, I think that their chances of getting anyone in is obviously lesser than the NBA or the, excuse me, the NHL would be. But listening to hockey players talk about this, hockey players thrive on overcoming tough situations. They thrive on being the toughest guys out there. Mm-hmm. And what's tougher than this? What's tougher than leaving your family and and your wife and uh, you, the comfort of your home and having to go play in this hub scenario for the glory of bringing a championship to your organization and your city? I mean, you heard Vladimir Tarasenko talk about it. He said, I just need a bed and some food and I'm good. Hockey players right. were built for this.
3: See, and that's the difference between them and NBA guys, all due respect to NBA guys, because they're competitive and they're great at what they do, but generally the NBA player has been coddled and has had first-class accommodations basically since they were in seventh or eighth grade, mm-hmm. and it's never stopped for them. Hockey players are 16 when they go into juniors, 15 or 16. They're riding buses all across Canada. They're staying with host families. Uh, They're eating at Tim Hortons and uh, in the middle of the night after or in the middle of a 12 hour bus ride, then they stay in a motel. It's not a hotel. And it is, it's a group of guys that really circle the wagons tightly to play the sport because they love it. And there is, there isn't coddling, there is competition and it's a group of guys. And that's what the blues became last year and that's what they still are they're so tight it's kind of like an older junior team because they are so tight and i think that's one of the differences between hockey and the other sports right now is it's really difficult to get a a group of guys that are as close as the blues are
1: randy these are guys that will have their jaws wired shut and take Mm -hmm. the ice they will get a puck to the face and they will still play Do you think not having an extra pillow at their hotel is going to stop them from, no. from hitting the ice and from taking this seriously? Of course not.
2: No.
3: And I go back to the quintessential hockey story. It's uh, back in 94 when Brendan Shanahan, who was, uh, he was two points and five minutes away from becoming the first player in NHL history with uh, 50 goals 50 assists, 100 points, and 200 penalty minutes. Second period of a game against Winnipeg, and he takes a stick, he had assisted on a goal, takes a stick to the mouth from Keith Kachuk, and needed, I believe it was, and this is in Jeremy Rutherford's book, 48 stitches. His lip was detached from his face. Oh, So he's on the trainer's table, and the, the doctors between the second and third periods are attaching it. Mm-hmm. and and they put the lip back on and he says to Chaser alright look and Chaser says, goes and looks at him and says more chicks for Chaser <laughs> last game of the season okay skates onto the ice about a minute into the third period he's a goal away from 50 a goal away from 100 points and 5 minutes away from 200 penalty minutes he gets the goal so he's at 50 goals 100 points he fights Keith Kachuk The guy who hit him in the face with the, he's got 48 stitches and he fights Keith Kachuk to put him over 200 penalty minutes. Wow. That's hockey player for you.
1: That is hockey.
3: Yeah. Unbelievable.
1: How do you think a guy like that thinks when he sees a baseball player isn't throwing because of a blister?
3: Oh, it's got to drive me crazy! <laughs> it me crazy. crazy. Come on.
1: <laughs> I have my lip detached from my face, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Unreal. So you, uh, Jeremy Rutherford's book, and uh, we're going to talk to JR later in the week. What, I forgot the name of the book, but it's fabulous.
1: Is it a thousand things, Blues fans? Yeah, a hundred things. Hundred <laughs> things. Is, nah, yeah, well, there's there's probably it. a thousand, but yeah,
3: but it, it's in there.
1: Definitely a hundred great yeah. ones, though.
2: Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. On 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: And it's always great to have this segment, and it is.
1: You're killing me, small! There we go. I mean, Randy, I've gotten to the point where I just. You nailed it. Every time. Yep. Every time. All right, Randy. Well, we know that Thursday, the Nationals are opening up the baseball season versus the Yankees. As I look on our play-by-play board here, it's nice to see actual games up That's pretty cool. on our promotions board here. That's going to be at 6 p.m. local time. And it was announced yesterday that the Nationals are having Dr. Fauci throw out the very first pitch to, st- to open the season. And I thought, what a great selection by them because we are in this situation because of the pandemic. So to have Dr. Fauci, the man who's been guiding us through this, throw out the first pitch pitch to open up the baseball th- baseball season. I thought it was poetic, Randy.
3: And he is a super fan. He's made it very well known throughout the course of this pandemic that he wanted to see the world champion Nationals have an opportunity to play, so he'll get to throw out the first pitch. I'm sure that he might be alone in the stands or maybe with his wife, but it's a great gesture on the part of the Washington Nationals, and I think it's a good thing for baseball. This kind of shows us that not only is baseball back, but if the Fouch is throwing out the first pitch, it's safe to be back too for Fouch, the players. That's
1: right. He wouldn't go out there and do it if he didn't think it was the right thing to do or the right. right message to send, right?
3: Right. So, I mean, he's 79 years old. I'm really impressed by him. Me too. I hope I'm that sharp when I'm 79.
1: I guarantee you I won't be. <laughs> I can <laughs> I'm not guarantee now. it. I can guarantee it. <laughs> I will have deteriorated greatly by 79. Yeah
3: there you will you'll be fine i wonder if <laughs> the cardinals will have somebody throw out the first pitch
1: that's a great question maybe we'll ask danny mack next segment
3: we'll try that yeah and let's idea. get an
1: update on those clydesdales
3: dun, 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 i've dun,
1: dun, had a lot of people dun, dun, hit me dun, dun, up at, hearing us on the show make our plea for the clydesdales to be there on opening day so we need to get an update there
3: yeah we'll find out about it
1: apply some peer pressure
3: <laughs> good idea
1: you're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy, we know that Chiefs defensive tackle Chris Jones inked a four-year $85 million extension with the Chiefs. This comes on the heels of Patrick Mahomes' mega deal, half a billion dollars. And he was doing an interview to talk about the Chiefs resigning him, and he said this quote When Pat's deal got done, he texted me and said, Let's get this thing done. I left some on the table. Let's get this thing done. And that's when I had the security that me and the Chiefs were gonna work something out. And that's what he said to Yahoo Sports. But to think that Patrick Mahomes gets a half a billion dollars, and he left some on the table
3: unbelievable so how much do you think he left on the table because obviously jones they had money budgeted for him maybe eight million a year so was it another 12 million a year that mahomes could
1: have gotten wow but at that point if you're him and you're looking at what you're going to make cumulatively if if what's $12 million to ensure that you're going to have a key piece of your team come back and help you try to repeat as champion.
3: He wants to win. And I would think perhaps the goal was, hey, let's just get a cool half bill and then we'll take care of the other people too. Uh, let's leave some on the table for the other. Let's leave some scraps for the other guys.
1: Some debris. Yeah. Some financial debris out there.
3: Yeah. But if you are a Chiefs fan, if you're Brad Barnes or Brandon Kylie, and you see that that Mahomes Knows that he's leaving money on the table to keep your best defensive player, you gotta say, man, we got the guy here.
1: He is the guy. And because of the amount that he's making, people won't comment that this is a Tom Brady-type move out of him, but it absolutely is a Tom Brady-type move out of him.
3: Yep, and before Brady did it, back after the 99 season, Kurt wins MVP and Super Bowl MVP, and he goes to his agent before training camp starts and says... I'm reporting to camp, so you just get a deal done before camp starts. And the agent was kind of pissed because he thought he could get more, but he had no choice. He, he had to get the deal that would get camp Kurt into camp on that day. So Kurt was doing that before any of those guys were in the salary cap era. But then...
1: That- and- Does that surprise you that Kurt would do that though? Of course not.
3: (laughs) But then they're able to pay Isaac and Marshall, and they had to give Marshall a contract he held out that year uh, or, or the year before. But they had to take care of all of those guys, and they were able to, and Orlando Pace ultimately too, because of the money that Kurt left on the table.
1: And you think about it if you're those guys, or especially Patrick Mahomes, and you're thinking about, okay, if I'm leaving this money on the table for them to sign Jones and it brings me another championship, I'm going to earn that money I left on the table three times over. Right.
3: And think about what the value for Mahomes will be in endorsements. Just being a, a single Super Bowl champion now, you're an NFL quarterback. You have won an MVP, you've won a Super Bowl MVP, and you're a, a guy that is attractive and personable. There's going to be so many opportunities for him endorsement-wise. It'll be crazy.
1: I bet he hasn't even been able to sift through all no. the endorsement opportunities that have have come his way.
3: No. And he he seems to be, from my standpoint, he's a marketable guy. I would be engaged if he's doing a commercial for somebody. And I'm probably the furthest thing from the demographic, maybe not the furthest, but I'm a 57 year old male. I I'm, I'm who doesn't like the NFL that much. <laughs> I'm probably not the ideal demographic, but he engages me. Really? Yeah, because I, I think he's a cool kid.
1: Yeah, he is cool. But I, I wonder how many people, are going to see Patrick Mahomes in an ad and say, I want to buy that because Patrick Mahomes is endorsing it. Will it get in their consciousness? Yes. But does he have the cool enough factor to where they're going to go out and buy it?
3: He has a chance to get there. I think so, too. And and that's a rare commodity. Tiger had that. Tiger
1: has it. How many people are there driving Lincolns because Tiger is driving a Lincoln?
3: Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing how some people have that. But I think Mahomes has that it factor, too.
1: He's the, he's the best player in the league at the most important position in sports, yep. and he's a, a young champion who's a nice guy.
3: In the most popular sport.
1: In the most popular sport. So I would say, even if he didn't have a dynamic personality, all of those factors combined, he's got the marketability you're looking Absolutely. for. Absolutely. You're killing me, small. Well, speaking of Chris Jones and the Chiefs, Randy, he went on 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City, and he went on LeBron on everybody. He said he guaranteed five plus Super Bowls for the Chiefs, not one, not two, not three.
3: Not four, but five but plus five. Super Bowls. Uh, yeah, good luck with that. I, I'm glad that he is confident, but man, it's hard to win a Super Bowl. It's hard. As Jay Zygmunt always used to say when I would uh, complain to him about a loss, he'd say, It's hard to win a game in the NFL. It's hard to win a Super Bowl, and it's hard to win five Super Bowls. So I love the confidence, and I love the fact that. He's so committed to it, but they are winning five Super Bowls.
1: I know they're very hyped. They're coming off a Super Bowl win. They just both he and Patrick Mahomes just signed big deals, they're feeling very confident about themselves. And they should. I mean, mm-hmm. they're both they're great players on a great team and a great organization. But to make a bold statement like that, to Babe Ruth and call your shot, don't you think you would have learned from LeBron to maybe not do that? Because that audio could come back to haunt yeah, you. Yeah,
3: that's a great point. You should probably Take heed of what LeBron said, and it wasn't three or four or five or six, even seven. It was two. (laughs) So, yeah, you probably should take note of that.
1: You're killing me, smalls. All right, last thing for you, Randy. Um, Clint Frazier of the Yankees, he's going to wear a mask throughout uh, the games, the 60 game season. And he revealed that he's been getting a lot of hate on social media for saying he's going to wear face masks during the games. He says he doesn't care what people have to say. But are you surprised that people are ripping him for doing that?
3: Let me point out, first of all, that he hit a home run the other night wearing a mask. That was (laughs) pretty cool. I am not surprised. In general, what surprises me is that usually social media is such a light, happy, forgiving place that they would say, hey, it's cool that you're wearing a mask. I want to wear a mask like that. You would think that the, the people that frequent Twitter or Facebook would think, oh, that's really cool. I'm totally on board. And even if I wasn't on board with it, you do, you be you. So th- that part of it is mildly surprising to me that uh, that would happen to uh, Clint Frazier.
1: <laughs> and you know, you're right, Randy. All of those people who are generally pretty positive on social media, they really only tweet things too to celebrities and athletes that they w- that they would absolutely say to their face. Oh, so the, yeah, you right. know, I'm really surprised that they would come at Fraser this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: it's an amazing thing, and the the boldness of people is remarkable. And, hey, whatever reasoning Clint Frazier has, whether it is to protect himself or to protect the other Yankee players or the players that he's on the field with Mm -hmm. or his manager, whatever reasoning he has, I'm on board. I'm I'm a live and let live kind of person. So if he wants to do that, I'm totally on board with it. And I can't imagine, this is me talking, I can't imagine going to social media and criticizing somebody for having that thought process to protect other people.
1: When athletes wrap their wrists or they protect themselves in a physical standpoint, any other time, there's never any hate for it. And this is from a health standpoint, Mm. he's trying to protect himself. And if it makes him feel more comfortable to do that, and if if he's physically okay doing that while playing a game, who cares? Who cares? How yeah. does that affect your day that he's wearing right. a mask? Yeah. It just, it, it's interesting to me that that would affect someone so much that they would take to social media and spew hate at him for that.
3: Yeah. I wonder if, uh, how many of those people were Yankee fans from New York, by the way, I thought it was interesting. The New York times did a survey of epidemiologists and 511 were surveyed and 507 of the 511, one of the questions was, when will you start wearing a mask again? And 507 of the 511 said, at least through this summer, at least through this summer. Those are highly trained professional people that went to medical school to do what they're doing and become experts in their field. 507 out of 511. So, even those people, uh, uh, I, I tell people on social media, I'm much more inclined to trust meteorologists than some random on social media. But I'm going to take the odds there. I'm going to take the 507 out of the 511. If you want to trust the, the other four, that's cool too. But like I said, live and let live. But don't get me sick.
1: Right. <laughs> you make your choices, yeah. but then stay away from us.
3: Yep. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. That is your killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin, the voice of the Cardinals. He is getting ready for action in his uh, main job as the voice of the Redbirds. They have a nine-inning game today. We're going to talk to Danny about the Cardinal closer situation next on
2: 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: We are going to visit with Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac is coming up. Michelle and Randy with you. We're going to get to baseball, Dan, but I want to get this from you. We had Carolyn kendall Betts on the show earlier. You are uh, very well engaged
0: with MLS for the Lou. I want to know what you want the name of the team to be. Uh, I would love to see it something that unifies the city, that's something that um, ties in all races, creeds, colors, everything that can bring us all together. I I don't know what that name would be, but that would be something that would be important to me.
1: And Dan, I remember having conversations with you uh, when we were trying to get this thing done and you were so involved in it and knew how important it was for the city to think that the stadium is moving forward full steam and that we have a date on the calendar where we're going to have the name and the crest and the colors. It's got to be pretty satisfying.
0: I'm excited. I I know how much this means to the city and so many people behind the scenes that have worked so hard that names that the general public doesn't even know. Um, I was texting back and forth with Carolyn last night for the better part of probably two hours of probably the better part of two hours had nothing to do with soccer. Um, (laughs) so, uh, you know, they, they've gone through a lot to, to get to this point and Jim Cavanaugh and Tom Strunk and so many people behind the scenes. So I'm excited for them. I'm excited for the city. I'm excited for soccer fans. I'm excited for sports fans. You know, and and while it it is disappointing that it's been pushed back a year, I think it's almost like you take a deep breath, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you're not forcing the issue of, of making sure that everything is done with the stadium. Now you can make sure that everything is just perfect when you get the stadium there, yeah. the stadium colors, the name. You, you hopefully get all your your um the the sponsorships right. God willing, there's a vaccine. Everybody can gather. You sell your tickets, you sell your suites, and just just get it right. Don't force the issue. Let's get it done right and uh, make sure that everybody can enjoy it properly. And, and and don't force it, right? I mean, why why force it if you don't have to? Make sure everything is done properly. And um, so I, I'm excited. I think it's going to be great for the city, and I'm excited for everybody that's been involved with this.
1: And kind of looking down the road, one of the things that I ask, Carolyn, you're right, The the importance of gathering, especially for this, getting a team off the ground. It's incredibly important. And I asked her. But watch, watching the success of the Battlehawks in a market where we have a complicated relationship with football and the way this city embraced the Battlehawks and showed up for them in such a short amount of time, I have no doubt, especially coming off of, of this period where we haven't had sports regularly, the support for this soccer team is going to be enormous. I,
0: I would say, too, and I'm a you know, baseball guy, I, just seeing the numbers that people with the streaming of just streaming – Streaming, okay. People getting around a computer and watching just, you know, a very limited broadcast of wanting to see sports mm-hmm. and then watching what the Battle Hawks did and going into areas that were, Are you, you know, just getting into areas that maybe hadn't been marketed before. Not to say they had been marketed, but just the grassroots effort. I know that they're going to do that and make a point of emphasis to go to those people. I obviously they're taking notes on that. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to do everything right to make sure that they do that I mean the, the blues and the Cardinals have been around for a long time they know how to to make sure and put fannies in the seats and put out a good product so that not to say that that's turnkey I mean they they work very hard in doing that every single year but when you're a new organization and new sport you know they're gonna to have to do some things that are different and and they will so I don't think there's any doubt they were taking notes on how Kurt Hunt did his job and his team and and making sure that they do some of those things what with what how they applied it with the Battlehawks to what they need to do with what, with what they do with the uh, with the mls and is kurt with us tomorrow or thursday uh thursday right i think we'll
3: look that up
1: i think it's tomorrow
3: He's with this tomorrow. Tomorrow, I was going to say. I think tomorrow,
1: nine fifteen.
3: Okay, uh, Dan. I was saying earlier to Michelle that I always defer to Mike Shilton, Mike Maddox on their knowledge of their pitchers. I, I just assume that they know more about their pitchers than I do. I don't. I don't Shocking. I don't, yeah, I'm not positive. About <laughs> that. <laughs> But I also defer to you because you're around that ball club and you talk to those guys all the time. So with your knowledge, what was your reaction last night when you heard the
0: official announcement that Carlos Martinez was going to be in the rotation and KK Kim is going to close? Not surprising because, you know, they, they told Carlos, look, if you if you come into spring training and you prepare properly, you're going to be a starter. I think the surprising part for for fans would be that, okay, on the back end of games, where are we at coming out of the quarantine and who's available? So if you start doing the numbers, uh, you, you don't have an, an established guy. I think what makes this decision easier is now Reyes is back, Gallegos is back, and Cabrera is back. Now, the question going forward would be with those three, how quickly are they truly back? Mm-hmm. You know, like when, when can Gallegos maybe start closing games out. Um and now Kim has been announced as the closer. I, I think it's it's going to be interesting early on. The league hasn't seen him. I, I like that. I, I think there's a benefit to that, even though he's primarily been in the KBO a starter. When when guys haven't seen him, we've talked about this, there there's something to that. So Uh, I like that. I I don't think he'll be scared in that role. I think he'll embrace it, and I think you do owe it to a guy that has kept himself in shape during the quarantine, Mm -hmm. came in in shape in spring training, did everything he was asked, and he's been a two-time All-Star, and he's a guy that you know, that you you do owe it to him a little bit to say, hey, you've earned this, and he did earn it. I, I also wonder, if you go through the first week and KK gets four
3: saves, and somebody comes up with a barky arm, is Gomber or Ponce de Leon the guy that takes a spot in the rotation or is it the guy that's 4 for
0: 4 and saves I think it's Gomber. Uh, Gomber to me is He'd electric right now. I mean, he's he's the guy. I think he slides right in there. At least that would be my my um way now I would go. If your closer's closing. Yeah, he's he's the he's the closer and the other thing is I I just like a lefty in the rotation I too. I, there's just something about a lefty, especially think about when it, it with the schedule the way it goes too. When you, when you face, let's say, the Reds, and you've got Moustakis, and you've got Joey Votto. I mean, so you've got some really good lefties. Um, if you've got, let's say, Anthony Rizzo and some of the lefties that they've got with Chicago. Mm-hmm. Hayward. Yeah, Hayward. Um, you know, I, I just think Gomber's stuff plays. Uh, he's looked as, as good as anybody in this camp. So he's earned it, too, and he's healthy. so. The way that his slider is is now part of his repertoire with the big curveball and a fastball. The way that he's pitched, he would be my guy that I would slide in there. I see this, and I'm going to talk about it. There, there is a a chance that the Cardinals with a 30 man rotation would have five lefties in their bullpen. Yeah, five. I mean, there there's a chance that you have five left-handers in your bullpen. It'd
3: be kind of an upset if they don't, wouldn't it? Well, because you're going to have Miller, Webb, Kim, Gomber. And
0: uh, who? Oh, Cecil, maybe I, I've got Cecil in right now it, with it, the three or Cabrera. So you either way. That's right. So if Cabrera isn't available, which he may not be at the beginning, right? You've got Cecil. Yeah, Cecil could be that, and that's a thirty-man roster. Yeah. And that's if you carry sixteen, they could go to seventeen. Looks like they're going to lean towards sixteen. Yeah, that's what was pretty, Mike said that. Yeah. Um, then you've got a five-man bench. And you carry the DH, so there you go. Then you got a five-man rotation. Yeah, it's a it's a new game. It's going to be fun though. I think it's kind of fascinating how they yeah. do this. Um, it 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 kind of comes down too to how you want to start clocks with guys too. You know, do you do you want to start the clock of Oviedo and Cody Whitley yeah. and you know? So that's that's something to think about too. But that's where I think by getting the guys that you got back over the weekend, it, it does ease maybe some of the decisions that you had to make. I, I could be wrong but is from an outsider and again we're not we're all really not of the inside information that I normally get. I can't go down to the field and right. talk to Mike off the record and say hey were you thinking of going this way and that way and I can you know find out some of these things. I just kind
3: of go on what I read. One of know? the One of the great events in sports in St. Louis, I wonder if it might be revisited, if they would start 5 and 10 for whatever reason. I wonder if Shilty would commission Rob Manfred just to eliminate the first quarter of the season, bring in a big old fridge of beer and have everybody have a beer and say we just eliminated the
0: first quarter of the season. No, he would go not. Je- go Jeff it's Fisher not, style. It's not going to happen, Randy. Darn. You're going to have to play the 60 games, you play them out and you play them hard. What 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 was the uh, the Knights uh the the uh the pastor that came in? Oh. Losing is a disease.
3: <laughs> yeah, right. Losing is contagious. That's Losing right. is
0: like syphilis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yikes!
0: Have you you've seen The Natural Eye? No,
1: I've never seen it. Oh, man. are you serious? I know. There's a lot of movies I haven't seen.
0: That that's I know. That's not good.
1: I know. You need know. to see it. Okay, homework. I have like that's three copies home. at home.
3: Do you, do you do you or do you not own a DVD player at the
0: moment? I do not. Okay. Well. They show it every they week. They don't on, have DVD players anymore. I know. They show it every week on MLB Network. So we'll every week, almost every day, it seems <laughs> like it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that movie. So seriously, yeah. I love the movie. Oh, it's one of my it, favorite movies. It's it's like number one for me. Sports. Will it
1: hold up though? If I watch it? Yeah. Yeah. It okay.
0: Oh yeah. Sports yeah. movies bother me because the the. If you're in sports and you watch a sports movie and you see, like, the realization of how they're trying to carry off sport, it bothers me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That one, I mean, it's a little corny, but still, I, I thought Robert Redford, like, carried it off
3: pretty well. I thought he did, too. And, Michelle, here's the emotional impact that that movie had. Okay, you haven't seen The Natural. Have you seen the movie Beaches? Yes. Okay. So Barbara Hershey has cancer in that movie. Yes, I wanted her to die in that movie. I said hey, let Jesus. her go because well, hi, yeah, I wrong wanted you because she shot Roy Hobbs. Well, okay, that's a Spoiler point well taken. Alert. But sorry, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just said I haven't seen it.
0: Well. <laughs> Now you'll know what's coming. Okay, great. But don't worry, he's he's got the bullet in him, and he he, he does okay.
1: Oh, okay, it's positive.
0: I mean, and you know, there's a rekindling, and things yeah, happen, and yeah, you know, so there's some light standards that get hit, and whatever things you know, like that. Okay, great. You know, there's some home runs hit, and you know, it goes on a tear, and the night's do okay, and it's all good.
3: <laughs>
1: so now do I not need to watch? <laughs> no, this you need to watch now? it. It's awesome. It's one of
0: the great movies of all
1: time. <laughs> wow. So you're watching Beaches the whole time, rooting for death. Because well, of the I natural. see
3: the, the the time I saw it, but because of her that's why, if it would have been any other actress in the world, she did a good
0: job, obviously. Uh, so yeah, but I was rooting against her. I struggle watching Field of Dreams. I can't watch it the whole way through anymore.
1: Why? Because,
0: because of my the, father. Because of your oh, father, yeah. Wow. So do you ever do you play catch or do you have a catch? I play catch. That's what normal people do.
1: Yeah. When I have play a catch? catch,
0: no, I'm with you. I don't say let's go have a catch. No. If people want to say that, that's fine. I don't mind it. I don't get upset about it. I know people get in these, you know, verbal wars over it. I don't care. I say, (laughs) let's go play catch. I don't get out. Do you guys had, did you have an argument about this or something? No, no. Okay. I've, I've seen people get an art. I mean, really, really get, you know, I think it's an Eastern thing. I think have a catch is an Eastern thing. I say, let's go play catch. I do too. Um, I can't watch it anymore. I have not watched it fully through, and it's been over 10 years since I watched the whole thing through. At least 10 years. Probably 15 years. We're trying to go. We're trying to go to the field of dreams. I don't know. Are they going to allow fans in there? I mean, I I don't think so, but they're allowing media in. The original one was, if they were originally going to have, if we were in a normal year, would have held, what, maybe 6,000 people? Yeah. They've got a stadium right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I was wondering, if you were never, ever going to have uh, non-fans, this would be it. I mean, seriously. Yeah. If you were not going to right. have fans at a stadium, this would be just it. Tell people there are ghosts, and, and it'd be kind of cool if they had the old-time players come out of the cornfields or something. You know, be good. That that movie gets me every time, man. My dad's been deceased. It was his, I guess, over twenty years now. The anniversary was just about two weeks ago. So really, I, it's hard for me to watch. Yeah. I can't. It just brings back to. I played catch with my dad. I can't remember how many times. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh I my can god. Imagine. Yeah. yeah. It's so, just hard to watch for me. So, yeah. Here's a question. Yeah. Before we get to your show, and we're already late for it, but what the Sorry. Heck.
3: If Ooh, uh We're really late. Sorry, guys. Shoeless Joe comes out of the cornfield. Then that's
0: 2020 and I'm done. <laughs> I'm gone. No, no, here, here's a question, though. Shoeless Joe <laughs> it's comes. over. Shoeless Joe comes out of the cornfield. If he's the real Shoeless Joe comes, no, it's, it's
3: over. No, it's the ghost of Shoeless Joe. Yeah, <laughs> really, 2020. But if just like in the field of dreams, my question is, are like... Uh, Dr. Uh, Moonlight Ram, Yeah. So he comes in contact. And then con- he's got the vaccine for, <laughs> right. for COVID. But then if, it's truly done. But if he comes in contact, if the ghost comes in contact with a person that has COVID-19, is that person susceptible to, is a ghost? What is wrong with you? I'm just wondering if a ghost can get the COVID. No.
0: Okay. He's not going to take it back to the other ghosts. Okay, that's, I'm just hoping he would So, So you're going to say that Shoeless Joe has to go into quarantine. <laughs> that's
3: what I'm wondering. You're asking that. Yeah, that's, that's my question, basically. Can we just get
0: to opening night tomorrow on ESPN Radio and then have our own <laughs> opening whatever? Sounds good. I, know, have, I, I have a great Normally scoop. I like having the crossover, but this one is taking it to this a different is memorable. level. Come on, this is great. <laughs>
1: What's matter with you? Normally I always
0: say to McCarver, What's wrong with you? But this one applies to you. It's amazing. Right. Oh, okay. Thank
1: you, Dan. But in your prep today, you didn't consider ghost quarantine. No, I
0: didn't. I didn't think shoeless <laughs> Joe quarantine would come up in field of dreams. Honestly, what's what's just, the matter with you? I'm just playing. We get a little loose uh, by the end of the show. Yeah, <laughs> you guys have uh, kind of gone off the rails here. A
1: little bit. Yeah, a smidge.
0: Thanks. Have, have a great scoops. Oh, I can't wait.
3: <laughs> it's gonna be great. <laughs> great job by our producer engineer today, Scott Manziar. Great to have you with us, sir. Thank you. Michelle as always great work.
1: Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow.
3: And we thank you for tuning Just in, we in, <laughs> being a part of the show. Yeah,
2: <laughs> for all of us until tomorrow at seven. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.